Australia Python Radio with your hosts Eric Burke and Owen McIntyre. Hello everybody, welcome to another episode of Morelia Python Radio and tonight we are joined back by Justin Julander. Uh, he was on a couple weeks ago, uh, but we're going to be talking about inland carpets. Now we've had Justin on to talk about natural history of like yes. diamond pythons and, and Australia and, and trips to what Australia. He does professionally. Yeah. <laughs> Bunch of but shit. We've, yeah. We've <laughs> never had him talk about inland carpets. So I thought it would be pretty cool to show the uh, one of the underdogs of the carpet python world, uh, you know, how cool they are. And uh, Justin right. has some, some awesome stuff going with inland carpets and, Unfortunately for me, it's going to be for me and maybe, maybe for some of the listeners out there, but not, I'm going to try to sneak in, <laughs> not for Owen, but I'm going to try right. to sneak in some like tips if you're going to travel to Australia. Cause Justin, this whole episode times. is not for me because I don't have <laughs> England. I mean, well, after this episode, Owen, you better what am get I on doing the here? and you better contact Justin and get some awesome inlands because I'm sure he has some, or if he doesn't, I'm sure he will have some, so you better get with it. Well, yeah, I mean, there was, plus, I, I think I need to make up for the one time when I was in my younger years and I didn't purchase that Jag from Justin, I went and bought the one from Will Leary. So, you know, I think I need to, oh. I shut up. All right. I shut up. I don't know why I brought it up. Because now we're going to talk idiot. about it. But was, he just hung up, didn't he? So I didn't um, know him but, then, Justin. I swear I didn't know him then. That, no, that, no, I was young and foolish. So, um, but, but yeah, I mean, I, inlands have always been, those things where I'm like, I really would love to get them because pretty much you're looking at a silver, gray, and black bread lie. What is there not to love about this snake? So, um, yeah. I definitely want to get into that. And I think the, uh, again, once again, I've been spoiled because I know enough people that have inland have that I have not, that, yeah, that I have not purchased any. So, and mm. it's cool that we bring it up because I'm seeing a lot more. Um, posts of what is being crossed with those silver peppered inlands over in Australia. And I'm hoping that maybe in a couple months we'll start seeing some really cool combinations, even though it also hurts me internally because (laughs) (laughs) none of these are (laughs) like, yeah, inland. It's like, it's like I would really like. Don't you want to see what a silver pepper jag looks like? I God, God damn it! Yes. It's like, yeah. <laughs> I wonder. You know, I'm going to say this because first of all, they're not even really in Australia, to. let alone yeah. in Europe or even in the U.S. Yeah. And even if for some reason, let's say Australia, you know, decides that you can ship out, you know, blah blah blah, one swims you over, know. magically pops up someplace, yeah. Well, yeah, but, you know, I was trying to do the right way. But anyway, <laughs> in my story, <laughs> takes, you know, I was trying to make it the, Anyhow, the right way. No, forget that. Owen. Forget that. It takes um, too long. Jesus. I don't know if I would do that. I don't know, man. Really? I would be torn. I, yeah. You Is know, that that line that you don't cross? Well, well, you know, I, and maybe Justin will be able to talk a little more on this. And I know that, that, that there's some people working on this right now, but, you know, uh-huh. Inland carpets are basically what they were like 4.9% genetically distinct from the the other carpets. 
So yeah. the cutoff in that paper was what five percent, I think. I so like, so. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't. Should know. It? it would be like <laughs> it would be like making bread live jags, I guess, to me in a way. Right, and, but but at the same time, I'm that. saying that now. So, so Eric uh-huh. now is saying Eric that, now is saying like, this. So you know, in three Darren, years, when we have the anniversary show for this season, and we bring yeah. up the fact <laughs> that you have like eight inland jags, yeah, okay. So all right. oh, I would never now make an inland jag, but if I was I'm doing saying, like I the silver pepper thing, maybe I. Oh, I don't know, man. I'd be torn. I don't. I don't think well, I would. Well, now I'm going to throw this at you. What would? What would all that like? You know, what would obviously. Um, silver peppered and striped because there are striped inlands somewhere. I don't know where they went, but you know, they're out there. So those would be crossed easy peasy, no fuss there. But what if you could get some form of hypo into that silver peppered and then read it to a high 88 percentile of inland? Would you get like these bright freaking blues? I mean, I don't know. I have no freaking idea. I think, yeah, we had I a whole genetics my... episode, and people are probably screaming at me right now. That's not how it right. works. So yeah. you know that's fine. You're idiot, but you <laughs> moron! Why do we listen to you? So um, I just keep you around because it makes me look smarter. That's all. I am the plucky. Ch- <laughs> didn't didn't Nick Mutton compare us once to Johnny Carson and Ed McMahon? Where I just sit there and go, ha ha! You are correct, sir. Like I understand my role. I don't. Yeah. I don't fight it. So. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, well, um, I mean, of course, now everyone who is of a younger generation is wondering who the hell Johnny Carson and Ed McMahon are, which makes yeah. me sad. So yeah. <laughs> keep moving. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know that's happening to me more and more, man. So I feel your pain. <laughs> the more and more I get older, I, I say it's things okay. and people are like, what? 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 What movie is that? What? What band is that? What? What show is that? And I'm like, oh, forget it. I'm yeah. out of here. I'm leaving. <laughs> so yeah, uh, I don't know, man. I I think I would just try to focus with them on selectively breeding uh, to intensify those blues and try to bring out some too. of those reds. I think I think that would be the way I would go. I don't know. I, I, mean, I would too. But the, and my thing is that there's going to be one person that does one project. Mm-hmm. Oh, and it's going to pop out something crazy, and then everybody uh, is going to attempt to recreate it, case in point, Scream. So yeah. you have one bread lie project that turned out to be freaking phenomenal and obviously has in there so many things. Because I think there's like bread lie, diamond, and there's jag, so there's coastal in there. And hell, I'll throw jungle in there too just for – giggles you know that's a buffet of carpet man it is it is it's the entire it's the book it is the morelia book short rough scale you know and that's it so you know it's that's and that in one project like that is gonna explode and pop out something weird looking and then people are gonna kind of dabble so i would not be surprised if like you're kind of seeing this big insurgence with bread lie and i think that's partially due to hypo because you know hypo makes everything look stunning and um i would not be surprised if something pops over in inland where they start becoming very popular too yeah i think i think for me what i think with bread lie i think what's Mm -hmm. happening with them is you got more people refining them now you know and they're crossing some of the bloodlines and they're getting really killer results 
I'm sure the hypo has something to do with it, but I think just even normal bread lies seem to be way better looking than they were 10 years ago I when agree. I first got into this, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. I think that for some reason they always got, and, you know, really the only morph that was going on back then was the stripe. And it just seems yeah. that the stripe seems to be darker, if you will. But I yeah. think if somehow that hypo can intensify that, you know, that striped uh, bread lie, I think. Uh, and I think, I think we said that before a million times is it's easier to breed pattern into something than color. So get the color first, then go get the pattern. So these really, really bright, better looking bread lie will start getting crossed into that stripe stuff. And we should start seeing some killer stripes that aren't even hypo and then add the hypo. And then who knows what the hell they're going to look like. Yeah. And the fact that the, the, you know, it's weird. I don't know. Mm -hmm. We should have asked this question when we had all the genetic guys on. But, uh, suck at this. <laughs> I wonder why stripe in bread lie yep. is recessive, where in most other carpets it's polygenic. You know what I mean? Like, no, no, I get you. Only... Um, I don't know. I wish that, I wish I knew because I don't. Yeah, Travis, I mean every listening... other. Yeah, please. <laughs> we we need help. Well, obviously <laughs> they're different genes, I would think. But I guess would it be possible to have a striped bread lie that was not the recessive, like a different line of stripe? I mean, Is could that you a thing where uh, it's like genetic stripe and then non-genetic stripe? I, what animal is that? Where it's like this is a genetic stripe, and then everything else that just happens to be stripe is just kind of, I guess, polygenic. Um, I don't is that know. Boa? I mean, ball. I don't, pi- I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. Ball pythons have stripes. They have tri-stripe, regular stripe. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But I think most of the stripes that they have are recessive, if I'm not mistaken. You, but you do understand. You could literally tell me anything about a ball python's like form of. <laughs> And I will just be like, sounds legit. Like, I don't know. <laughs> like, <laughs> huh. That's good to know. You'd be like, oh, you know, man, when, you we, know you get, when we go in yeah, that battle of the podcast, me. you better brush I know we're going to lose. <laughs> lose. I can't be hanging out there all by badly, myself. We're going we're to we're, we, we have to hope that, you know, they just somehow like there's some good Morelia because I will be useless. So. You're gonna there better have to be some Python us. questions, <laughs> yeah, or colubrid. Give me something. Yeah, you, you know. better hold the colubrid. Or now I'm saying it. <laughs> colubrid. No, that, no, that is the correct way to say it. I was told by Warren. So oh, okay, all right. very good. Yeah. Colubrid. All right. So if there that's we go. A question, right. We got it. <laughs> a couple things that we want to hit on before uh, we get Justin on here, but um, so. One thing to me, uh, we're talking about Australia and Australian pythons and stuff. Did you see the picture of Gavin Bedford posted up of the Owen Pelly pythons? Yes. It's almost oh like my God. a scrub python and a spotted python or like a scrub and a yes. carpet or something. Oh, dude, they are freaking badass. Very, very cool. And it looks like, you know, that rattlesnake that we always kind of like the white one that is, looks like the rocks around it. The rose like, that's freaking cool. This, mm-hmm. this thing looks like it's made of stone. The color wise, it's like, I, it's almost like you'd have to be standing right on it to find it. It is a gorgeous animal. And I don't know yeah. if that's partially because I know I can't have it. <laughs> so, you know, it's like, is it's that probably it? part of but, it? <laughs> that is probably part of it, but it is, 
it is so cool looking and um you know it's it's cool to think about that that's kind of the beginnings of uh that whole project it's like you know right now with my roughies downstairs at one point that was them you know they they were a handful of animals that had been wild collected and were being bred in captivity in Australia and then eventually it just got bigger and bigger and bigger and they were able to find legal ways to get them into other collectors hands and all that other stuff. So, you know, seeing that who's to say that in the next, I don't know, 10, 15 years, Owen Pelley's might not be, there might not be a way, an avenue for them to be in us herpticulture and not dead in a, you know, <laughs> car. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. I don't know. I, you know, I, I think it's going to be one of those things like, so right now, if you wanted to work with, um, if you wanted to work with Australian pythons, for the most part, you can work with every single one except two, Imbricata and Owen Pelly. Yeah. Yeah. So you could, you know, maybe one day mm-hmm. it would complete the set. You know how some of us are like, you know, you got to complete the set type of deal. But... I'm sorry. Some of us need to complete the set because that's why they ended up buying Hognose this weekend. Others are trying to get the entire Python complex. So, you know, I've slowed down on that, man. You know, okay. (laughs) yeah. So I think I've talked about this before and I don't want to ramble too much because I want to get Justin on here. But the one thing that, that, that I've noticed with this is that you sort of like in, in to do this, you have to do it in stages. Like you can't just bombard every single thing at once, you know? Um, Yeah. They were, Owen Pelley's were in the States and they yep. died in the Pine Barrens, which yep. were not too far from us, which sucks. <laughs> <laughs> they just fucking horrible. <laughs> yep. Uh, um, anyway. Anteresha? Uh, no, I can't stand yes. pygmy anteresha. You would, you know. Oh, they're cool, man. They're cool snakes. Uh, but, but it's, yeah. Anyway. Oh, I forgot about King Horn Eye. Yeah, that's mm. another one. Yeah, I forgot about them. Yeah, shit. <laughs> but I believe, I believe they are in the states, but they're not in the states like in in the reptile trade, if you will. I think I think I think Terry Phillip has a pair of, or has one of them at the uh, reptile gardens, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe. Um, but. But yeah, Cool Snake, uh, he's doing awesome work. Uh, Gavin's down there establishing them and, you know, shit. Even if we just have to live through the people in Australia keeping them, uh, you know, who knows? Yeah. So pretty cool. Uh, Russ Case, uh, Reptile Magazine uh, founder, right? He was the founder. Uh, he uh, died. He was the editor, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, uh, yeah, which is which is a shame, but uh, you know, I think as you grow up in the mm-hmm. hobby, you sort mm-hmm. of move away from Reptiles magazine. But I can tell you, man, it, like I was super excited every month that that well, magazine came, man. That's how it began for a lot of us who are in herpticulture now. Anybody who's starting, you know, everybody who's getting their start now is because they saw this and this on Facebook. They saw this and this on this you know, website, this and this on this YouTube video. But for us, it was because we saw it in reptiles magazine. I can tell you clearly that's how I got into carpet pythons. So hundred percent. Yeah. 
I still have that magazine, man. <laughs> I have the whole. I have all you of see them. Like, Benjamin, and you're like, what the hell? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit! This is yeah. a python. I'm like, uh, yeah. Screw all the yeah. other pythons. Well, think about um, it this way: Cover Cover Girl line is a line because the snake was on the cover of Reptiles magazine. So you know it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so. so yeah, that was the one that I was missing. Um, mm-hmm. I, I was haven't. missing that one, and luckily, Mister Stone sent me a copy of it. So I'm yeah, very much I, appreciative of that. It's funny when you are that ingrained in Morelia that you collect. Morelia specific magazine shit because I also have the no right what a nerd I I'm I ha- I, I'm nerd. so horrible I have the original I had the Bavarian that was my wife magazine. like me I I I, Go I, ahead. I I have no I have no answers but um I was the original Bavarium, Bavarium yeah the Bavarium that has in it the ad for tiger carpets because they are the brand new Kodom morph in carpet python. You have to send me a picture of that. See if you can I'll scan find it. it. It's send me a picture. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. 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 It's hilarious. <laughs> Looking back, you know, <laughs> but the pictures, I'm like, those are some nice tires. <laughs> it's like you know, it's <laughs> like apparently we went way right and had to come back. So it was right. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Um, yeah, it's just like that little piece of history, you know. I like to have all mm-hmm. that just tucked away. Um, and then. Uh, one other thing I want to say for any of the listeners that are in the path of the hurricane Florence, uh, hopefully yep. uh, everything works out for you guys and uh, you know, everybody stays safe, but um, I guess that's enough of us. Do you want to do the, we'll do the calendar at the end. We'll do it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We'll do the calendar at the end. And then I have uh, a link I'm going to throw into uh, the comments and stuff for the insectarium that's around us. Cause that's a, that's a local thingy. So. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. All right, we'll do that. Let's later. get Justin on here and let's let's <laughs> get going. Uh, it's spinning. There it is. Hey, Justin, welcome back to Morelli Python hey. Radio. How you doing, man? <laughs> hey, good. Good to be back. How you guys doing? So far, uh, so great. Excellent. So we want to talk about. Right? Is this... okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. You got a new setup or something? Or, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got some new uh, headphone type things. So yeah, I just want to make sure there's no echo or weird things going on. No, nah, you sound you sound pretty good. So we wanted to talk about inland carpets, uh, you know, and uh, you have a yeah. uh, pretty awesome group of them. And I uh, figured since you wrote the book on it, you would be a good guy to talk to about them. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah. You know, we'll just we'll jump into like some natural history, maybe the bloodlines, what you're working with. You know, I, I'm specifically interested in like the the breeding aspect of it. As far as you know, I know I'm curious of how you did it. I know there was some talk before in the past that you had to drop them to certain temperatures and different lines, and one is harder to breed than the other, et cetera, et cetera. And then if we can, maybe we'll talk some all tri- uh, trips to Australia what you need mm-hmm. <laughs> some tips yeah, <laughs> if you're about to travel. So, all right. Yeah. Cool. Well, um, inland carpet pythons, I mean, the, the Australians are very, very creative in snakes. And so, you know, inland <laughs> carpet pythons are just a little bit inland from the coastal <laughs> carpet pythons around the coast. Yeah. <laughs> hey, <Genius. laughs> Perfect. Yeah. So, so inland carpets are found kind of, uh, in, in, Few different states in Australia and Queensland. They kind of get up into uh, 
up all the way probably to the Jara. There's some Zajara inlands that are really cool looking. They really have a lot of red in them and stuff like that. Um, and then they range all the way down to, you know, into South Australia a bit and into New South Wales and even, I believe, into Victoria a bit. So, um, but they're, you know, not, not quite out by the coast. They're in those ranges inland and they're fairly tied to uh, the trees and sometimes, you know, buildings and different homesteads and things like that. So um, there's also a, a cool population we included in the book that uh, lives in these cliff faces. They're kind of like, uh, what is that, limestone with all these holes and stuff. And there's a population that lives inside the cliff face and just kind of goes through and feeds on different little birds and <laughs> kind of a cool, yeah. cool natural That's history cool. note. But yeah, yeah so awesome. their, their uh, habitat um, where they're at is, has been extensively modified for farming. So they're they're somewhat rare. You know, they're they're kind of restricted to either uh, n- natural parks or or sorry, nature parks or re- reserves or uh, places that you can't easily farm, like a cliff face. You know, so they're still still holding strong in those areas that still have some of the um, natural habitat. Now. They might utilize, you know, as I said, homes or barns or things like that, just like any other carpet python. Carpet pythons tend to do okay as far as rural interruptions. I, I think I saw or heard a statistic that in Darwin, I think percent of the attics in Darwin have a Darwin carpet python living up in them or something like that. So <laughs> they, cool. they do pretty well in, yeah. in you know, man-disturbed habitat, um, but except for perhaps with farming because they clear the trees and, and these pythons kind of are tied to the trees along the riverbeds and things like that. So, um, but they're, they're a tough snake. Um, so this area where they come from experiences really drastic shifts in temperature uh, from season to season and even from, you know, day to night. In the, in the daytime, some of the areas where they come from can get up to, you know, 100, over 100 degrees. Uh, and then, you know, shift back down 20 or 30 degrees lower during the night. So, you know, these they, they've adapted to be pretty tough to, to withstand hot and cold, and which makes them, you know, very uh, tough in captivity, kind of bulletproof in captivity. They do very well because they can withstand a, a, a wide range of super uh, error or, you know, doing <laughs> stupid things. Um, they also right. come from, you know, kind of a more dry environment, so they can, you know, do, do pretty well if water or things like that. So, um, anyway, just very, very tough carpet python. And I, I actually, I've been um, in part of their range. My last trip on, you know, on the East Coast, we dipped into kind of just the corner of Inland Carpet Range, and I knew that there was an area where some had been found, but the weather just wasn't that fantastic and the kids didn't really want to go scouting around in the bush so I figured it was probably a long shot anyway but Mm -hmm. I still need to make a trip over there to specifically look for these guys in some good um, habitat so um but yeah they're they're just cool and and I think um you know you guys uh kind of start talking about morphs and different uh, variations and things like that there's I think some of the stuff that's been found in the wild is probably more intense than any morph you could make of these things. There's some really cool things. I was, I was trying to find the picture, trying to find the 
I, I believe it's uh, Ben Corey, his uh, thesis, um, his re, you know graduate research. He did some work with Amrelia um, with with the inland carpets at a homestead area mm -hmm. that had been you know kind of interrupted, and he was looking at you know, kind of the spatial dynamics where they're found and what they're doing in this disturbed habitat. And you know he found them up in attics, or he found them in I, th I think there might even be a video online that I saw in kind of my searches for, for carpet related uh, information and there was a group that was doing like a bio blitz uh, or talking about maybe bearded dragons or something but they opened up some old um, stove and pulled out an inland carpet python that was inside there you know just kind of a cool thing so so they can yeah they can take advantage of these disturbed habitats and i see there's another video of one hanging out in a rock outcrop that just was cool that'd be the ultimate find for me to find one cruising around some rock out okay but so dreams of uh checking these things out in the wild but like i said this uh ben cory in his thesis they found um during their you know tracking of these uh, snakes they found one that was almost like pinkish red color like all throughout i don't know if you guys have seen that um, yeah i just yeah, posted the pic over in the chat okay, oh, okay. all right well, you, give me a second I <laughs> yeah it's really <laughs> and that's cool. kind of like extreme variation yeah so i mean i think um in my mind you know that's kind of what i have in the back of my mind when i'm trying to selectively breed these things is i think some pretty crazy and wild stuff could could pop out and i you know i don't know that it's going to take too many uh, generations to, to see some really spectacular animals. Um, and I don't know that much work has been done at all with that. So I think the ground is fertile. Uh, maybe, you know, and selective breeding is kind of the long road to having crazy looking animals. Uh, but I mean, mm -hmm. look what it's done for jungles. You know, all the jungles we have are basically selectively bred for that high yellow and they've been right. bred over generations. So I think, you know, down. 20, 30 years from now, we could see the same thing, or maybe less, uh, we could see the same thing in the carpet. So that natural variability um, is fantastic. And, you know, a lot of the animals we included in the book uh, demonstrate that range, uh, you know, between the appearances they can have. Um, you know, when I first was looking into inlands, um, you know, I saw several pictures online and just thought, ah, you know, they look kind of like a dull coastal carpet or something, you know. Photographs mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. just don't do these guys justice. I mean, you got to mm -hmm. see one in person. There's just so many kind of uh, things that don't come out in the film very easily. That bluish gray kind of belly color and background color that they have, um, you just you, you can't get that to come out in pictures very easily. <laughs> it takes quite a bit. So... Um, you know, when I saw one in person, I'm like, okay, yeah, it's really <laughs> cool. <animal." laughs> but before that, I just thought, ah, you know, they're kind of like, I look like a but, but And then um, on top of that, their personality is just um, the best of any carpet. You know, I used to think brettles were the ultimate as far as being calm and, you know, being relaxed and stuff. But I've had some brettles that were kind of jerks. You know, they'd take a swipe at you every time you'd open their cage or something. But these guys, I mean, I don't. I, I think I've been struck at once by an inland right after I got my first pair, and they were delivered from Europe, so they, you know, flown across the ocean, and so they were a little testy from their flight. And I got it out, and it kind of did a little half lunge at me, and then 
So that's that's <laughs> the only time I've been struck out by an inland. Although I did have a, a baby that took a swipe at my friend. He he went he was picking out his inlands and he went to pick this one up and it bit him. And I'm like, how do you get bit by an inland? Man? What's <laughs> <wrong with you?" laughs> what did you do to him? Uh, yeah, all right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, you can just reach into their cage, grab them, and, you know, you don't have to worry about a bite at all. So, really, I think, you know, with their um, – how tough they are in nature and how uh, calm they are and the calm demeanor they have, uh, they, they're just the ideal pet carpet python for that reason. Mm-hmm. I think that carpets have a bit of a bad rap overall because, you know, the babies tend to be a little bitey or feisty, but, you know, generally the adults calm down. But these guys are – calm from baby on they're really pretty just easy going and then uh you know they stay a little smaller than some of the other carpets they're not quite as big although they are fairly bulky they can you know be fairly robust carpets but uh they're not as long as some of the other uh, subspecies so um, that makes them a little little more attractive for for people and you know keep that with you as well and mm-hmm. then like i said they're they're really tough really kind of bulletproof so, just a very cool snake all around. And I, I really need to see one of these things in the wild. It'd be a lot of fun. <laughs> Is, yeah. um, now, with, with, now, I know there are several lines. Do you have a favorite captive line, or are, like, just color-wise, or are you uh, in the camp of every inland's a good inland? <laughs> that's, a, that's a good question, because originally I was kind of, uh, you know, there's that, rumor out there or whatever you want to call it that the Malg line was better than the other line and this and that and the other but I've really found that uh, you can have striking individuals in both lines that are really nice looking and you know kind of have that, that the appearance that I'm looking for at least with kind of the blue showing up and um, some, of, some of the ones that I so I've got uh, a Harris line female and uh, after I got the, the inlands into the country from Europe, I was told the male was unrelated to any other line. So, um, you know, whatever that means. But they said he wasn't. He, this male wasn't related to the uh, Harris or you know Schofield line or the Malg line. So, um, I guess he represents a little bit of additional genetic diversity. So nice. I held back a couple pairs from from that breeding, so I can hopefully you know, keep that line going. The, the original adults that I got from um, Europe have kind of taken a couple years off, and I'm, I'm trying to rethink my um, husbandry a little bit with them. I, I, I wonder if maybe I'm keeping them too cold uh, during part mm-hmm. of the year and they're not getting warm enough during, uh, you know, the spring, summer months. So um, I'm going to change things up a little bit and try to get another clutch from that original pairing just to um, get that genetic diversity out there. And so uh, that's one of the things that I'm uh, you know, trying to trying to get back and get another question. But I've also got have, some of the holdbacks from, from that line that should be breeding this, this season that are breeding old enough to breed. So. Yeah, I have a male from that uh, pairing you did with that unrelated, and man, he is fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> I, got him, I, I got him at Carpet Fest from Ben a while, a long, well, what was that, years ago, you know? But... Uh, uh, yeah, <clears throat> man, really, really yeah, nice. There's definitely some out there. We, uh, I remember when uh, I produced the first uh, clutch. Um, I, I can't remember if I had a, an overabundance of males and Nick had an overabundance of females, but we 
we ended up pairing out some of our animals and, and sending out. So I believe I, yeah, I, I, I had a few extra males that I sold kind of individually. So yeah, that's probably one of those males. <laughs> I think I sent a few with Dan to see if he could sell them too. But yeah, they're, uh, um, so anyway, yeah, the line's out there, so that's good. And, and hopefully um, we'll see you know, a little bit of genetic diversity through that, through that line. Uh, yeah. So, as you, how, I mean, how many generations are you now into breeding them? Um, I've, I've, I've just gotten to the point where I can breed my first holdbacks. And I don't, I didn't hold back any from my first production year. And mm-hmm. I don't even know if I held back any. I think, I think the first time I held back was 2015. So those, okay. or maybe even 20, I think they're 2014. Because I've got a, yeah, I've got a female that's a 2014 for sure. And I'd held back some really nice ones, and then, like, somebody made me an offer I couldn't refuse, so I sold my mail. And I, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it was to a local friend, so I could hopefully maybe borrow him for breeding or something like that. But um, I produced a mail from my from my Maug pairing uh, that I got from Chuck, who got him from uh, Paul originally back a while back. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, they have produced some really nice ones too. So I, I produce really stellar individuals from, from both lines. And so, you know, I have a hard time saying one's better than another. It's just kind of like any carpet, you know, you'll have really great uh, individuals and then you'll have some that are, eh, you know, they're, they're nice, but not that. Uh, like that. So, uh, yeah. The, the reason I was asking is because, um, you know, I, the, the other, the only guy that I know that's really like putting it to it, besides you and maybe Nick and Paul and guys like that is Tim Tyndall over in uh, Europe. And like, he's produced some really, you know, like I was surprised I posted some of them over in the chat, but I was surprised at how fast, like the pattern reduced and like you saw the changes. Have you seen anything? I mean, I know you just said that you have some standouts that, but like, are you seeing like different patterns, like the same kind of variability you see in like a coastal carpet, you know what I mean? Like, different patterns or stripes or yeah. Yeah. Well, this, this one that I was just referring to this male, I mean, he's, he's almost got no pattern on his sides. It's like almost that gray blue all the way up on the side. So he's almost like a patternless side animal. He has kind of some side striping. So I think the Mm -hmm. stripes really reduce, reduce the pattern and brought really bring out that gray blue color. So that's kind of what I was really like, you know, wanting. And so um, when, when that, thing hatched out and you could tell you know even from a hatchling the sides were really reduced in pattern i'm like that's going to be you know hold back and that's kind of what i want to focus on is you know getting getting a little bit of that pattern away because that really masks the uh, blue and gray coloration as they get older and kind of Mm -hmm. that brown color comes in a bit in some individuals from the top and you know fills in those lighter uh blotches on the on the animals so um i'm thinking if if you can reduce that pattern a little bit. You'll really see that. Uh, once the darker el- pattern elements, you'll really see that blue-gray pop. And so that's kind of the, the goal there. And I've got a female that's uh, got some reduced side patterns as well. And so hopefully, you know, pairing those two up will really intensify that uh, striping and, and uh, that blue uh, coloration. Okay. But, you know, I, th- I think that, you know, I guess whatever floats your boat, you know, I, I, yeah. <laughs> projects that, you know, we, uh, 
One of my favorite examples is uh, Peter Birch. We went to his place. Uh, Nick and I were over there, and and I think one of one of my favorite uh, towns in Australia is because uh, Pete ingrained that into our heads. It's it's a little uh, town, or probably not even much of a town. It's called Tibbaburra, and it's out in the middle of uh, I think it's in New South Wales, but it's over kind of where uh, New South Wales meets the Northern Territory. You know, out in the desert, out in inland Australia. And uh, he, he got some uh, Stimson's pythons out there, Tibbaburra mm-hmm. locality, Stimson's pythons, right? And they weren't anything to be too excited about. They were just that year, you know, Middle Eastern Stimson's pythons. Well, he kept them and bred them back and kept refining and, and, uh, and you know, selectively breeding that line. And mm-hmm. out the other end, he gets those sunbursts. That's where the sunbursts come from. And the pattern's really reduced, and the yellow is really intensified, and it's only you know, over a couple of generations that that occurred. And so, you know, really, if if you selectively breed different uh, different uh, you know, looking you know different looks or different phenotypes that you're after, um, I think things can really move and shake in not many generations. But you know, I guess it depends on a lot of factors. But um, that selective breeding can really produce some pretty amazing things. Yeah, oh, for sure. Hopefully it'll be, and hopefully it'll be the same thing with the inlands. See some really nice results after not very many years <laughs> or, or generations, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, it's it's hard for uh, you know people that might just be coming into carpets. They don't understand that at one point they were let th- these pythons were like a pipe dream for a lot of us. You know, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like you know, and here yeah. they are, and like. I don't know. I'm just surprised that they're not more popular than, than they are, you know, because. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I've been thinking about that myself because, you know, you, I, I've produced quite a few of them and, and, you know, they've, they've sold, but it's been, you know, not, there's nobody's beaten a path to my door to buy these things. If you know, you know, like, and then I got to say, I'm not the best marketing person or something. (laughs) So, you know, I just kind of put them on my website and let them sell themselves. Yeah. We were, we were talking about that before the show went. It was like, you can't tell them if you don't take pictures and list them. It's exactly. like, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Damn it. Exactly. Shit. So, you know, they, they, they've they uh, sold okay. I haven't, I can't complain. And I don't mind holding on to them and watching them develop as they get a little bigger, you'll get a little size mm-hmm. on them. But, um, you know, they're, they're uh, much cooler than I think people give them credit for. But I think it's the lack of of morphs, you know, that kind of drives the hobby in a lot of ways. And, and you just don't have that uh, appreciation for the wild type. And really, I mean, I I don't know, you know, a little deviation from the wild type can be a very beautiful animal or even just a straight out wild type looking thing. You know, they're they're beautiful animals in their own right. And I guess, I don't know. And maybe Eric, when, (laughs) after you get back from Australia, you'll, you'll uh, have a, have a change of heart a little bit, but seeing them in their wild, in the natural environment, you don't really yeah. care if they're a morph. You're just like, I saw that thing in the wild, and it was amazing and beautiful in its own right, just because it was doing its thing in the wild. And I, you know, I've heard that from from a lot of people, but uh, getting over there and seeing them, it's like it kind of made me care a little less about the morphs and a little more about you know getting those wild types or trying to find localities or what. Uh, yeah, you, know, you, you kind of want to see in your in your snake room what you saw in Australia. <laughs> That's kind of what <laughs> what my trips have, have ingrained on right. me, you know. And yeah, 
So, and it's kind of frustrating too when you can't get some of these things. You know, like the seeing those uh, Embarcada out in Western Australia. Oh my gosh, that was so cool! I was, <laughs> last night I was <laughs> I was watching. Uh, I, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the the show uh, In the Wild with Harry Butler. You guys ever heard no. of that? I, uh, I mean this this was this was Steve Irwin before Steve Irwin, and he was he's not like he's not the dramatic guy. He's like totally calm. You almost can fall asleep to the show because he's just like, oh, here's a nice little thing, you know. And he's got like a, a, a Molga, you know, a King Brown, and he'll just kind of throw his hat on it and, and pin it down with his hat and then lift up the brim and find its head and then push his finger on its head and, and pin it. And then he'll pick it up and show, you know, show the camera. And he's just like, look how beautiful this thing is. And, and then he just lets it go. You know, he's just like no drama just showing you the wildlife. He's a complete naturalist guy. And this is like back, I don't even know when this was filmed. I'll have to check the dates, but it's probably back in the 90s or 80s even. It's like old school, you know. It's like uh, (laughs) the the, the quality of the video is pretty rough. But last night I was watching one of the episodes and he he lifts up this big flat rock somewhere in Western Australia and pulls out an Imbricata and the thing is just gorgeous. I'm like, oh man, you know, it's just so (laughs) cool to see those things and and I guess, you know, I, I don't have to keep it in captivity. You know, I can just appreciate seeing them in the wild and being patient. You know, I'm not going to go break the law because I have to have one. But, you know, it would be nice at some point. But, I, you know, seeing them in the wild, you just can't match it. It's just, just the best. And I think that was one of my favorite finds in Australia. Well, I didn't find it. It was the gecko guy that found the carpet python, and the two carpet <laughs> python guys didn't Why is didn't that the way? Yeah, <laughs> it was he was it was luck, right? He was just in the right yeah. place at the right time. Come on. Just, you know, this uh, Imbricata coiled up next to one of the pinnacles in Nambung, and Nambung is this place like yellow sand and these giant uh, just uh, rock structures sticking up out of the sand. It's fantastic. Uh, they're also called the pinnacles, and uh, just yes. an amazing place in Western Australia. But you know, we found shinglebacks like pairs of shinglebacks following each other around through the pinnacles and you could track them down by their tracks and you know oh it's so cool just everywhere um but you know we just walking around through the pinnacles and all of a sudden steve goes hey look what i found and he's holding the carpet python i'm like oh man so <laughs> but you know just getting pictures of those guys hanging from and it was in shed but it was still spectacular and just beautiful things yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah, the pinnacles remind me of like Star Wars or something. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, I just I just posted a picture. Really otherworldly. Really cool. Mhm. And I mean, yeah. you've got like emus roaming around there. We saw these emus, and they're eating these like uh, seed pods off of these trees. It's just it's just the coolest place. Like you know, pink galahs flying through and landing on top of the pinnacles and. <laughs> I mean, yeah. just not not many cooler places than that. And that was the I think I told this story on here, but that's where um, we were cruising along, and uh, um, we, sh- my wife and I were cruising along, and we saw two uh, two Imbricata in quite a short time that had been hit by cars on the road, and you know, I'm seeing these dead snakes. But oh man, if what oh. I'd give to see this thing in the, in, in, alive, you know, that's the hardest right. thing about Australia, seeing stuff dead on the road. But uh. Um, so I'm like, honey, we gotta, we gotta stay here. Cause we were supposed to be back at our friend's house that night. And it was, you know, still, it was a couple hours from Perth and, uh, we, we were able to, uh, 
I, I talked her into staying. She's like, oh, we need to get back, or at least we need to call him. I'm like, oh, you're responsible. And so we called him and said, we're going to be a few hours late. And we didn't end up getting to their house until like midnight. But So I had to stay and say, I said, give me a half hour after dark, and, and then we can go. And sure enough, we pull up on this, this Invercada getting ready to cross the road, and it was it was amazing. <laughs> so... I know we're we're going to jump back into inland carpets, but I have to ask this question because one yeah. of the things that that I'm excited to see in Australia is the sky. And I just happened to be uh-huh. going through pictures of the pinnacles and there's this picture of the pinnacles and you can see like the Milky Way up in the outside. Oh, yeah. You can check it out. But man, is yeah, that cool? Yeah. Because I guess oh, there's yeah. no, uh, you know, there's no light, light distortion. Pollution. No yeah, light pollution. pollution. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's some of the most amazing skies I've seen have been out in Western Australia where there just isn't a lot, you know, especially like up in, uh, up in the, um, Karajini, Karajini National Park is probably one of my favorite places on earth. Oh yeah. That's just killer. (laughs) That's cool. That's insane. Yeah. Some of those photographers can take just some amazing pictures. Is that one of Adam Bryce's? He he takes a lot of pictures. I don't know. I just uh, go or something. Yeah, but uh, yeah, there's some go. there's some cool pictures in that place. Yeah, yeah, for uh, sure. Yeah, the the sky is fantastic. If you get outside, and that's I mean that's the goal, right? When you get to Australia, yeah. is head out as fast as you can get out of the city and get out into the out into the yeah, bush. right, cool stuff. Yeah, for sure. Uh, cool stuff. I'm I'm really jealous. I need to get back there soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah See, it's it's like it gives you a whole different perspective of us and you know like i think yeah. sometimes you get we get cocky and you know because we're you know on earth and everything but then you see something like that and you're like well wait a minute <laughs> you know i don't know just like totally yeah. changes your perspective yeah oh yeah for sure. i i too there's um you know it's it's the quest too you know like you, you want to you want to see them all, right? You want to keep getting back because you missed something, or you were you were in the right, right habitat, but you right wrong timing, and you just missed it. And so I, you know, that's that's what keeps me going back, is I I just keep thinking oh, I want to see everything. I want to keep keep going back till I can find um, find them all. <laughs> but um, I'm 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 almost there with the pythons. I just have a few few more species I haven't found. Some of the more difficult ones, of course, but. Um, and have you found breadlight? Not yet. That's one of oh, them yeah. that I need to okay. find. I need to find breadlight and metcalfi and, of course, Owen Pelly's um, and Carinata. Um, gotcha. I think Uh-oh. I found everything else. We did the children's python we found was DOR, so that, I don't know if that counts. But I count it. <laughs> I, need uh, to know. That's, children's yeah. Python, right? <laughs> yeah, I count it, you and, know. And then, uh, yeah. <laughs> And then one of the uh, Baranai olives. I haven't seen a wild Baranai yet. I was very close. Like, it killed me because we were hiking down this gorge in Karajini, and, and these people were, were coming along, and, you know, we were, we were at the other end of the canyon, and uh, I was asking just anybody I saw, like, oh, have you seen any reptiles, any cool snakes or anything? And they're like, oh, we saw this big, giant brown python or something at the other end of the canyon. We didn't know if it was... You know, they didn't know if it was a python or not, but they said this big brown snake. And I said, the other, the other, the other. 
and they kind of told me where it was, and I was, and I ran to the other end of the canyon, and you know, and hunted around everywhere I could think to to look for this thing. But of course, you know, they have a nice way of disappearing. So, I didn't <laughs> it, but I yeah, it and sucks. then. I, in uh, another canyon we were looking through, we found tracks of one, these big old be- belly scales. It's the only thing that probably could have made the, that track. And I'm like, I was following it as best I could, trying to track this thing down, and it just disappeared into the rocks. Or, you know, you couldn't. Uh, so I've been close, I think, but no cigar. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, the one thing I was going to ask, since, you know, we're talking about, we brought up kind of Imbricata and whatnot, but like, mm. you know, the, the, these guys overlap, you know, because there's that whole, what is it? The, the gammon range carpet Python whole scenario. Is that. Yeah. That's a, that's a good question. You know, it's really, um, their, their, their ranges do come very close and the gammon ranges are, um, kind of go up into close or at least neighboring what uh where the metcalfi are found um you know that i don't know that that's been worked out satisfactorily but the you know genetic analysis shows those gamma ranges animals are uh are uh, imbricata but mm-hmm. so you know i'm sure it's probably just an island python or an island remnant of imbricata that as as that nolarbor plane dried out you know they kind of got cut off Two young populations got cut off from each other, and that's happened with the gecko species too. There's the uh, Nephurus, the knobtail, uh, starred knobtail, and the first gelatus, and they have kind of a little pocket over in that same area, kind of near the Gammon Ranges, and then and then a pocket in Western Australia. So they have a disjunct population as well. So it seems like that's kind of a common theme, is is that uh, you know as Australia dries out. But um, so that's probably what it was, and you know. How, how, you can go back far enough. I'm sure they were probably the same thing at one time, but <laughs> they they just diverged. And there's pro, there's a uh, you know big deserts and and probably some mountains that are separating those populations. Um, but yeah, they're the the gammon ranges and that air you know that uh, population of Imbricata in South Australia is is distinct from from Metcalfi. Um, and it's not. I don't think it overlaps. It, it may, but I, I don't think it does. So, so gotcha. But you know, that's hey. a, another tricky thing with Australia is there's, you know, not a lot of roads, and so you know some of these areas are just untouched because you can't get to them very easily unless you're like a cattle rancher or a miner or something. Right. <laughs> so, do inlands not have the intergrade range that like coastals and jungles have? Is that just because of like, I don't know, the deserts and stuff and mountains that are around them? Yeah, that's, you know, it's, that's probably keeping them separated, and that's probably okay. why they've speciated, because um, Imbricata are fairly distinct uh, compared with the other uh, Spilota. Um, mm. You know, the Spilota and Imbricata are fairly distinct, and, and Imbricata warrants speciation, I believe, and, and Metcalfi is probably that point, too. I, I don't know, it's uh, the taxonomy kind of frustrates me a little bit because, you know, they, a lot of times they just go, you know, maybe I don't understand it well enough. I don't know, but it just, sometimes it's just frustrating because you're like, <laughs> you see these differences, but you're not going to call it a different species or, you know, you're, you've got one standard for one type of animal and it's 
completely different standard for another type of animal, even though they're both reptiles. And there's just no rhyme or reason, it seems. And it just depends on the researcher that's studying that group of animals. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. The new tools that they've got help help identify things a little closer. There's some really crazy work going on with taxonomy. They've, they're doing, you know, I've, I've seen a few papers recently on geckos where they've taken these geckos that cover pretty big uh, ranges and they're mm-hmm. finding that they're completely different species, you know, in these populations that they thought were all one species. Now they're dividing out, like, I think they increased the number of one genus from, like, 16 to 30 species, you know, and just with one paper showing this cryptic diversity. So I think cryptic diversity will be kind of a, a buzzword in taxonomy for a while to come as they um, identify these you know, animals that look very similar but genetically are very different. Um, but, you know, the one thing I'd li- love to see is a little more standardization so you have similar rules for different uh, taxa. I know that's hard because reptiles might evolve differently than mammals or, or insects. So, you know, you're going to have some differences between groups, but uh, I don't know. I guess I, it's probably my ignorance, which makes me frustrated. <laughs> I'm with you. <laughs> so. Everything changes so much. Yeah. You know, I, I, I really think, too, like, um, it doesn't – who cares what they're called, you know, if you – I I mean, we still call chondros chondros, and everybody knows what everybody's talking about for the most part. I mean, now that there's two species, are you talking about northern chondros or southern chondros, you know? But, you know, we, that's all a name is, is just something that identifies it. So if you're talking about uh, a carpet python from the Gammon Ranges, you know, you're talking about a Gammon Ranges carpet python, you know, people are kind of going to know what you're talking about if you say, oh, Gammon Ranges carpet. Um, they might not know it's an imbricata, but they'll know, oh, that's, that's what it looks like and this is what it does and things like that. I guess I'm more interested in the natural history versus the taxonomy. So maybe my interest lies more in, you know, outside of taxonomy, so that's why it frustrates me or I don't know. But it is kind of fun, you know, when they do these crazy revisions and you have you know, a ton more species than you did the day before, and you have to learn all these new species. Or, um, I did I did see a talk uh, by Aaron Bauer. Um, he's a taxonomist that does a lot of work with geckos, and he gave a talk at a, a conference that uh, Steve and I organized uh, that was put on at the NARBC show out in Anaheim. And uh, Steve gave a talk. I think Derek Dunlop talked uh, about leaf tails in Australia, which was really cool. And uh, Aaron Bauer talked about taxonomy of geckos and some of the work that they've been doing. And, you know, this, this genetic work, it, it really, uh, I guess it's very, the story he told was really analogous to the, um, the scrub pythons and, you know, the Somalia. And so they mm-hmm. really showed uh, the differences there. And so that was cool. Um, so it was, uh, uh, you know, they, they showed that there's, um, what do they call it? I can't even remember the term, but basically you've got a, a species that should be a different genus that's stuck in the middle of the wrong genus, you know, even though oh, okay. the genetic work shows it should be a separate. So you, uh, paraphyly, I think that's what, what the what the word is. So um, they've demonstrated that. And so, you know, everybody is bugged because the, uh, the crested gecko changed, um, 
into a different genus, you know. And so mm-hmm. people were like, ah, you know, it'll always be a Rachidactylus to me. But now it's Coriolophus. <laughs> and so but he's not. <laughs> he's like, yeah, he's like, I'm, I'm kind of hated for this one because, you know, you take the most popular pet gecko and you split it into a different genus. Everybody gets picked off. And so, yeah. But he's like, it was an obvious case of paraphyly. And if we would have left it in uh, Rachidactylus, we would have been irresponsible. And, you know, we have scientific uh, merit, so we need to make sure things are correct. So, <laughs> you know, he made a right. good case for it. And, and, you know, we see the same thing with scrub pythons and Owen Pellies and things like that, where obviously, you know, there's different the, uh, carpet pythons in a lot of ways. And uh, that was probably an example of paraphyly that we had for a long time that was I just love how the argument is, but it's always been this way. And like that, that's your best argument. Yeah. Like guys, <laughs> we have, we have all this evidence here that tells you. And the one thing you can say is, but no, it, I, whatever. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, and you got the opposite end of the spectrum. You got, he, you shall not be named. No, we're not. Let's after no. his <laughs> dog, you know, ridiculous. So yeah, there's a lot of lot of things that need to be fixed in taxonomy. Yeah, <laughs> we're not allowed obvious, to say that uh, guy's name three times. Yeah. <laughs> uh huh. There was some great yeah. discussion on that dude. On <laughs> it was pretty entertaining. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's thing. Yeah, because I mean, the, the, he is he is fairly smart. He, he does kind of he's he's definitely manipulating the system. Which, you know, hasn't changed for how many hundreds of years, so it's probably easy, easier to manipulate things now than it was back then. And they really need to change things so that thing doesn't happen. But right. what what yeah. ticks me off is stealing other people's work and slapping your name on it or your dog's name on it. That's, that's, yeah. <laughs> dog's name. Your dog's name on it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what an ass. I think there was, what, like, Six or seven different species with his dog's name. <laughs> like come on, one dog's name. Yeah. So you had said somewhere at the beginning when we started talking that you're keeping these guys a little bit different, you know, uh, or thinking about it. I mean, I guess we're you know talk a little bit about you know breeding and what your approach is. Do you have to get these guys as cold? I mean, I know you were saying that maybe you keep them. Uh, on the colder side, and if so, like, what's the temps, and what are you shooting for? Yeah, that's, uh, um, I, you know, I have my uh, my original pair in one of the lowest cages in the room, and then mm-hmm. the the other pair, the, the Maug pair is right above them and next to the job. So the Maug pair is probably, you know, two and a half, three feet off the ground, and the, the original Schofield uh, unrelated pair are maybe a foot off the ground, right? And so um, I guess that's enough to, to get them quite a bit colder. And so they've, they've been, uh, I don't know, maybe it's just the individuals. It's hard to say when you have a sample size of you know, four and you're trying to compare yeah. or make any conclusions from that. So right. you know, I, all this is said with, a, you know, taking with a grain of salt. But um, the, the, the original pair kind of after I got them into this lower cage, um, didn't eat very well. Like the, the they would kill the rat and wrap it and start you know and start doing their thing, 
and then I'd, I'd figure, okay, they're good. They, they killed the rat, you know, and then I'd go back and it would be dead in the cage and stinking. I'm like, come on, you guys eat your rat, you know? So I'd uh, take it out and try again the next week. So, um, so it's been really, uh, uh, frustrating me trying to figure out. So that's why I'm thinking I need to have them be a little bit, uh, warmer because that, you know, I'm, I'm not sure if that's a factor or not. So I'm just trying to work out, you know, after changing up the caging a little bit, you know, my, and they haven't, since they've been in that new cage, they haven't laid eggs yet either. So I don't know if it's because female's a little on the cool side, so she's not eating as well. And so she's not getting the size to lay eggs or if it's something else. So that's just mm-hmm. what I'm working through. But so I think they can be kept too cold, <laughs> which is, mm-hmm. is what I'm <laughs> kind of leaning, leaning towards now. Cause the other pair laid a great clutch this year had, you know, 20, 30 babies somewhere around there, and and so it's uh, um, they they laid a nice, great fertile clutch. So um, that two feet above is doing just fine. <laughs> but I, you know, it does get fairly cold here in in Utah. It's uh, more of a dry heat, but it does get very or dry cold <laughs> in the in the winter. But it does mm-hmm. get very cold here, and and I do let my herp room. Um, I have a uh, you know oil filled heater in there that kind of keeps the room. I, I set it to about 80, but I think the room stays a little cooler than that, especially, um, you know, at the other end of the room from the heater at where the inlands are and down towards the ground. It, I've, I've measured temperatures in there in the morning, you know, in the 60s, maybe high 50s even. And so they get fairly, fairly cool. Um, but, you know, I, I they, like I said, they come from an area that gets fairly cold in the winter and, it's really hot in the summer, so they have those big fluctuations. I don't know that it's necessary. I think you could mm-hmm. probably breed them without such a dramatic uh, temperature shift. But I do think that um, temperature fluctuation is a key factor to breeding them. Um, you know, you might, I th- I, or at least to consistently breed them, I think they probably need that. You know, in general, I think just being over there and some of the the pythons that I found and in the temperatures that I found them at thinking just in my mind, this shouldn't be active right now. It's too cold mm-hmm. for a python, but they're out cruising around doing their thing. So I think we might have um, some misconceptions about what a python is and what kind of temperatures it needs and things like that. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm just trying things out, trying to see if I uh, if they can be this cool and still do well, or if they need to, be. so just kind of the evolution of my uh, learning curve. But gotcha. I think uh, they've been kept a little too cool for for now, or at least. Um, and uh, you know they're they're heated with a uh, heat cable underneath the cage, and maybe it's not reasonable. But I have the thermostat set. Uh, you know, I temp gunned it, and it seemed like it was reasonable. But I don't see them on there, so maybe they're not finding it. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I've been trying to let them teach me, and maybe I'm a slow learner. And I recently changed changed things up, and we'll see see if those changes uh, improve. Well, now the female did eat a rat after I made the changes, so we see that over EAS uh, dumbass syndrome of <laughs> killing <laughs> rat and, and then leaving it to rot on the cage floor. So, uh, so you know, I think. Uh, if if you get them get them a little lower in, in the winter, you know, cool them down, similar to like a bread lie, 
uh, these you know these uh, spring summer breeders that uh, don't breed in the cool season but breed after they come out of the season. They tend to you know, get fairly cold in their natural environment. Gotcha. What's oh, the, uh, the average? Yeah, what's the average size for an adult uh, inland? Is it compared to a bread lie? Because my bread lie, sometimes some of my bread lie actually eclipse my coastals in size. Like they can get pretty freaking huge. So. Oh yeah, yeah. Bread lie are much much larger than. Okay. Yeah, uh, bread lie get up over eight feet pretty easily, don't they? I mean, how, how big yeah. are adults? Yeah. So they, they inland's kind of the same. I, I've had some adult bread lie. Um, no, they're they're probably more around the five or six foot length. They're, they okay. don't get quite the, the size of a coastal or a bread lie. So, yeah, so not only little, are they chill, smaller. they're a little bit smaller, smaller right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, but they still seem like pretty heavy bodied, like compared to some of the other. Like a jungle seems more thin bodied to me, but uh, but the inlands tend to be a little more chunky. That's just the way I'm keeping them, or they're more efficient in their Digestion, I don't know, but they're they tend to be a little more full-bodied compared to uh, a jungle. Yes, both. So I'm, both. I'm cur I'm curious when you you know when you go to breed these guys, um, you know they're spring breeders, and you know you're saying you're following uh, what you do for bread lie uh, for the most part, but um, are you so you're feeding once they once they start to warm up and that's when you're doing introductions. Cause I know you kind of, some of your pairings you'd keep together all the time. You cohab. Is, is this a species that you cohab or. Yeah. Yeah. I've actually um, kept my original pair and this, this other pair together. Even, even when the female laid eggs, uh, they, they stayed together. So yeah, I've, I've cohabitated no these uh, adult pairs of inlands for years and you know, they've, the, like I said, the, the mouth line has, has done better, uh, but I, I think it might be because they've been a little higher up or a little warmer or something, but, you know, whatever the case is, they've they've uh, bred pretty consistently over the years, as long as I, you know, feed them enough uh, during the, the spring and summer months. And, and I have given them a year off of, of breeding just because uh, I still had some babies from the previous year, um, but for the last two years, they've produced clutches worked up well so um but yeah i i don't know i think there's there's definitely pros and cons to to keeping them together um mm -hmm. year round but i think uh you know my philosophy has always been that they the males will know the the female cycle and that they will know when the time is productive for breeding so they waste less energy you know uh, being introduced here and there and, and courting the female the female and the male are always already used to each other. The you know the male's used to her um, a cycle or whatever her perception. Um, so when when breeding's right, he makes his move and breeding's short and to the point, and they get the job done and then she eggs. So um, I don't see mine locked up uh, maybe once or twice a, a, a season, and okay. then uh, you know I get a nice fertile clutch of eggs. So. It it uh, it works out all right. <laughs> um, right. These, uh, this this year's clutch hatched in May, so they were laid. It was actually a bit of a surprise. I wasn't expecting eggs so early. Um, yeah. So they would have been laid in March. But 
they uh, you know laid a little earlier than I expected. So I think you know you know we talk about spring breeders or or uh, um, or, or winter, winter breeders, and, and I right. think there is some overlap in that. You know, I don't think it's a, a one or the other necessarily. Only you know I think they can um, breed. Yeah, there's no hard line. Um, yeah, so this, this female this year laid April, so that means two months before that is when she ovulated, and so, you know, around two months. So um, they were breeding in the winter when it was cold, so um, <laughs> they they can be winter breeders. And, you know, up in, up in the northern part of their range in, in Bajara, say, um, it's really hot up there, and it probably doesn't get as cold, and eh, it might still get cold in the winter or, or, you know, have that night drop. But uh, mm-hmm. probably not as cold as down in South Australia, where you'll find, or down in Victoria or New South Wales, southern New South Wales, where um, it does get very cold in the winter and snows. So um, they they probably experience freezing temperatures down there, um, whereas up up further north they probably wouldn't. So you know it's not. Not all or none, and I think they may adapt a little bit to their to captivity, but okay. um, you, know, you know, maybe we'd see the same thing. Maybe it's just a factor of, oh, they're spring breeders, so we put them together in the spring and they breed and lay eggs. Well, maybe if we left them together all year, they'd be winter breeders too. <laughs> Seems like that's the case with these inlands. So um, I don't think you know nature has a nice way of showing us that nothing's set in stone, <laughs> and, mm-hmm, and right. we can learn things by doing things a little differently and the fun of it right yeah right partially i mean you know it's it's good to have the mistakes that make you question everything you've done yeah it's fine (laughs) (laughs) exactly what the hell in 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 the book you know we show our winter breeder and spring breeder graphs and we and we took um you know an example locality of this or that or the other species and then say, okay, look, it gets really, you know, low temperatures here. But, you know, what if you looked at the northern part of the range? You'd probably see a similar profile to some of the uh, winter breeders. And so, you know, it's, it, it depends on, I guess, maybe where you find them. For things like the Centralian carpet, which have a very uh, restricted range and are only found kind of in the West McDonald ranges, um, you don't have a lot of, uh, you know, the there's there's not a lot of difference from the top of their range to the side or bottom of their range. It's all pretty similar. And so you're probably okay. going to just see one, potentially one breeding style out of that, or you might have better success if you kind of follow that breeding style. But, again, that's uh, something. Well, nothing set in stone. They could probably change a little too. And, and I think uh, Terry Phillips kind of demonstrated that as he got uh, eggs from his red eye and his diamond pythons from... Um, keeping them in this steady state uh, temperature and not really dropping or fluctuating those temperatures. So right. you know, it can be done. True. Uh, whether or not that's consistent or because uh, he kind of took years off and didn't really actively pursue breeding his snake. So, you know, we don't have a lot yeah. of data to go off of. But, you know, he's, he's demonstrated that it's possible to get fertile clutches if you don't drop them down and don't lose the how do the babies Nature fall finds into? A way. Hey, yeah, yeah, right. How do the babies <laughs> fall into uh, getting them to go, feeding and stuff? 
Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm in the throes of that right now, and some take right off the bat, and are <laughs> right. solid, solid eaters, and others take their time. And this year, it seems to be divided among the sexes. Like, the females have really taken taken their meals really well, and the males are being picky. I think I had some twins in there, because I've got two really small little runty guys that uh, were probably twins or something, because they're about Smaller than everybody else? Others. Yeah, uh, and I I didn't uh, catch them coming out of the egg or anything. I probably should have gone back and counted eggshells and made sure. But um, yeah, <laughs> too late now. Two small ones. They they still haven't still haven't taken a meal. Well, they have taken one meal each on their own. But it's kind of been inconsistent. And I had a really female heavy uh, clutch, clutch here. Like uh, yeah, there was probably you know, what sixteen females and. Five or six males, so there's a big disparity. So plenty of females available this year. That's good. I mean, and yeah, yeah, could be could be the other way around. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You know, you could be stuck with a bunch of boys. Um, with with my bread lie, um, I always found that they're kind of more shy than say like coastals or jungles when it comes to eating frozen thaw. It's like I have to always Mm -hmm. give them some live food to get them rolling. Is that kind of the same way with inlands, or is it kind of like a mixed bag? It's yeah, it's mixed. Like I had some that took their first meal of frozen thawed, and mm. others that you know their first was live. And so I, it, I think it depends on the individual. But generally, I feed feed live because I raise my own rodents. But um, this year I had uh, my. It, it always ha I don't know what the deal is, but it always happens when. Baby carpet pythons or baby, you know, antares are hatching. That's when my mouse colony has some malfunction in the water line, and they go without water for a couple of days and stop breeding for a couple of weeks. And so if you've got no, you know, pinkies to feed the babies, it's a headache. It's my luck every year. I need to figure something out to alert me, you know, when things are going bad. But um, so that's been a little bit of a frustration. So. So I so I had to use some frozen thoughts or you know frozen mice that I had, uh, and that worked really well. A bunch of them ate for the first time on those frozen thoughts. So I probably should use that more often. And I learned yeah. a trick. I didn't I didn't know this trick before. Uh, I I was looking at you know Facebook the other day and ran across somebody who made a post talking about feeding their um, baby clubridge or polybridge. How how do you want to say it? Whatever we're gonna say, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, he, he was feeding them boiled pinkies. And what? And I said boiled pinkies. I've, I've boiled never heard pinkies. of that. And he said, "Yeah." Like he, he said, "You drop drop your pink, you know, frozen pinky into mm. a pot of boiling water, and then uh, you know, let them sit for a few minutes, and then put give that to your snakes." He says it's it's worked for him to get some of his picky uh, hatchlings to eat. I have like, never oh, heard of that. that. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't, you know, I if I if I'm feeding, you know, a frozen thawed pinky, they they rot, they go south really fast, bad, like overnight. Fast, yeah. they're, they're bloated and disgusting Balloon and smelly. And so gross, cooking yeah. them, you know, if you cook them and you boil them for a bit, they're probably not going to go bad as fast. So I'm gonna, I'm excited. I'm gonna try this out. It's like you're uh, cooking you a hot dog. Yeah, it's like, to, yeah, exactly. This is what you're doing? That was uh, Tad, Tad Fitzgerald was the one that. Me into that, so that is awesome. I'm gonna give like, it a shot know, this weekend. 
Yeah, let us know how that goes, because if that turns out yeah, to be successful, yeah. I might be right next, like, after. I mean, geez. Yeah, exactly. I've, I've got some hold, some holdout anteresia that uh, you get them to eat. I'll be doing backflips, yeah. I have Dominican uh, Red Mountain Bow. This actually really good for, for my anteresia. This year was fantastic. Like, I got probably the majority eating on the first try, which Jesus. rarely happens, you know, for anteresia, so been a really good year and i i think i i attribute a, a lot of it to you know these being um the first generation you know the my first generation holdbacks i bred those for the first time this year and they all did really well like all the all the holdback um the, you know the f2s that i produced mm-hmm. um uh have eat, most of them have eaten on their own first try and and all of the f1s that i produced from my original pair um still haven't taken their meal on their own. They're still uh, playing hard to get. So <laughs> none Jesus. of them have eaten on their own. So it's like, gosh, dang it. Man. So I guess that's the thing. I'm I'm not going to breed my original pair next year. I'll just breed the F1. You forget those guys. <laughs> They're just like, you the know. The F2 eat a lot better. Yeah. yeah. So Years of work. <laughs> exactly. That's awesome. Yeah. Do you... that's, uh, that's nice. Yeah. So how do you set up the baby inlands? Are we talking like normal carpet stuff or are you kind of keeping them in the cooler part of the room as well? Um, no, I set them up with all my others. They're right next to the uh, Darwin carpets from this year. So they're yeah, just kept uh, with a hot spot around 85 to 88, somewhere around there. And then, um, you know, it gets, gets a little cooler at night, maybe down in the 70s. Um, so, yeah, just typical but I keep everything else at. Okay. So it's not really a yeah, I deal. Do, I do gotta... give them a nighttime drop, but I, I do that with all my snakes for the most part. Give them a drop down maybe 5, 10 degrees at night. So, except for maybe the tropical species, the more you know, northerly ranging species like the Darwins or the jungles. Okay. So it's all in the same rack. Yeah. Yeah, especially cool. for the juveniles like juveniles get a far far less uh, variation in temperatures than the adults do but that works pretty well for them although sometimes you know I, I think maybe a change like a drop in temperature or you know sometimes you, you take them uh, uh, you know take them on a car ride or something change things up and <laughs> all of a sudden they want to eat really bad you know just weird things like that so I think, think sometimes those uh, fluctuations can be really helpful in getting things to feed. I remember um, back in, uh, this was probably in the early 2000s, or um, my son was just a little boy, and he turned up the heat in my reptile room. And I went in the room, and it was like 100 degrees in there. Oh, God. I didn't, I didn't, notice, I didn't notice him turning up the heater, and, and, you know, and, and I came back down, and like my my original jungles that I'd gotten from Python Pete were, they were all dead. It was just really sweltering in there and hot, and I was just dying. Like, oh, there goes my collection. You know, everything's going to be dead. And, you know, I had stuff on the nearest the door was still okay, and I had some baby jungles um, that were produced from, you know, my original Python Pete pairings, and uh, and they were they were fine. And actually, that kind of stimulated them to eat. So that heat wave that killed off, you know, the adults uh, 
stimulated them to eat. So I guess the point of that is sometimes, yeah, I'm not suggesting you turn your room up to 100 degrees to get your babies <laughs> to eat, but sometimes those uh, fluctuations in temperature or or uh, you know, change yeah. in scenery can get them stimulated to, to feed. Awesome. For, and another thing that comes to mind, too, with that is, uh, you know, I've had some escapees, you know, baby uh, carpenter or anteregial escape, and I'll find it a few days later and put it back in its cage, and all of a sudden it's keyed up to eat again, so, or <laughs> to eat for the first time. So, so, yeah, I think sometimes they just want to change the scenery or change of uh, yeah. temperature regimen. I don't know. So those kind so, of things can kind of kick them into gear. Justin is advocating cranking the heat all the way up and then having free-range baby pythons <laughs> in your room, and then that'll get everything exactly. rolling is what I'm getting. Yeah, see, perfect. Um, yeah. If they don't but, eat, uh, you got to go to extremes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, Justin, we have a question from Warren, um, which I'm warning you ahead of time just so you can prepare yourself. Uh, um, it's a question <laughs> regarding uh, you described in one of our previous shows um, that you mentioned a dwarf species of pygmy or pygmoid species, if you will, of anteresia. <laughs> Um, uh, yeah. on one of your previous trips to, to Australia that you found at a reservoir. Um, yeah. And have you gone back to start talking about that? And also what species, like, did you kind of figure out what you were referring to or what species was that? Yeah. Well, I, you know, in retrospect, I wish I would have known the word pygmoid in the beginning yes. because it would have been really fun to call that, that thing the pygmoid banded python. But oh, my God. We just, uh, called it the, the pygmy banded python. But it, okay. Um, so so when, I was, when I was in Australia, I was over at Peter Birch's house, and he had some of these, they were calling them pygmy Stimson's pythons. And looking at them, I just thought, this thing doesn't look like a Stimson's python. It has kind of a different head structure, you know, different look to it. And I said, you know, are you sure these are Stimson's pythons? You know, what, what, where, and, and learning about them, kind of where they came from and, and, uh, and the, you know, their range overlaps with spotted pythons and they, I think they overlap a little bit with Stimson's pythons as well. And you can actually, I think you can find them in the same areas as Stimson's pythons. And so I'm thinking, you know, there's something about these things that just looks different. They're smaller. They, they stay at much smaller size. Their patterns completely different uh, looking. Um, they have different uh, habitat, and you know, just it just seemed different in a lot of ways. And um, I said, you know, we ought to do some uh, research on these, and we ought to do some genetic studies and try to get some you know, samples that we, you guys can. You know, I said, I'm happy to help, and we could uh, have some kind of collaboration where you guys, um, you know, get some shed skins, extract some DNA, and we could do some sequencing over here and write a nice paper together and Pete said oh yeah that sounds great let's do that so we we had all these plans and I even started writing some things and was was all excited and then I guess um, Pete's friend that we I met with and had kept these two he he was thinking the same thing he's like oh yeah I think they're different species and we're gonna and then he said um we're gonna go ahead and proceed without you so (laughs) thanks for your enthusiasm but uh we don't need your help. And so I was like, oh, man, <laughs> I I was uh, kind of bummed out about that. And, but uh, I still haven't seen their paper come through. And I'm thinking, you know, I you might have could use help from a, from a, a scientist who publishes papers all the time, you know. Yeah. And um, they and, should move uh, quickly before this is the, you know, 
hoser pygmoid python you know i'm just saying exactly yeah (laughs) well i i thought i was worried you know putting them in the book in the the, uh, complete children's python that that might Mm. uh key that dude off but um (laughs) yeah it hasn't happened so hopefully that won't won't be the case but i mean um you know in being involved kind of in the early stages of that paper and the draft um and we did include some data in the book as well, I believe, that uh, on scale counts. And mm-hmm. uh, their, their scale counts kind of put them, they were, they were different than either the Western or the Eastern uh, Stimson's pythons. And I think they were, uh, I'm trying to remember where they were. I should break out the book. But uh, they were uh, laid some, somewhere between a couple of the different species. So they were different enough that it appeared that they were, you know, a different Species from scale counts, but my knowledge, nobody's done the, the DNA, and that's probably the key, you know, to, to determining if these things are different enough to warrant species status. So, um, okay. yeah, we'll see. We'll see where it goes, but um, I'm, I would really like to <laughs> to get some of that Antaresia work done. It would be fun to, to get some of the relationships within that uh, genus uh, worked out a little better. Um, there's there's a lot of questions in my mind, but yeah, that's probably one of the ones I would I I would probably predict that they will be uh, species. Uh, so um, there that's actually cool. is five species of, of so hopefully you know I, I I I'm hoping that wasn't just a set up for a joke. But, you know, the question <laughs> no, 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 no. Well, I mean, <laughs> excuse to use pigmoid, but yeah, I no. I think that yeah, we, was part we, uh, of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We we went out to um, on my last trip. We went out to their habitat, and uh, um, and you know that was one of the, the pythons. You know, usually in, in when you're herping in Australia, at least for me, a lot of the herping I've done has been road cruising. But this was actually getting out of the car and walking around in the habitat and looking for them. And I spotted one, you know, crawling under some some uh, debris or a little shrub or something. So that was a really exciting find. And so we got some nice shots of it. And they kind of come from a little more. Uh, this one was found near a reservoir, as, as Warren mentioned. And we actually found another one on the way back to town as we were driving from this little reservoir. Um, we came across another one that was crossing the road. And it was in some nice habitat with some termite mounds. So I pulled over and forgot to put on the brake and watched the car roll towards me as my, like, why are you guys driving? And asking my kids. Like, uh, Dad, we're in the back seat. You forgot to oh, the shit. <laughs> please, please do that before we go off a cliff or something. <laughs> was, uh, huh. yeah. That's that's my main uh, pointer for you, Eric, is remember to put on the emergency brake <laughs> where you jump out to check Fair out enough. the animals. Yeah, Rob <laughs> accidentally runs him yeah. over. I'm out of co-host. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah. But they have they have a fairly... I mean, the range, they, they range up through uh, the Cape York Peninsula and over into kind of more inland Queensland. Um, the ones we found were near Georgetown, Queensland, so kind of out that way. And uh, they've been reported up uh, up near Mariba, I believe, up in the um, Cape York Peninsula. And uh, we looked for them up there as well. Rico and I went out uh, cruising um, in, uh, in Cape York looking for these uh, pygmy uh, banded pythons as well as 
there was a rumor of some red jungle carpet pythons out, out in this area, in the same kind of area. And so we were really excited to go look for those things. If, unfortunately, we didn't find any, but uh, we had fun uh, cruising. Uh, my uh, dad and one of our friends, Dave, was in the back uh, back seat, and Rico and I just were like on marathon herp mode, and they're like, can we please go back to the camp? I want to sleep. <laughs> like, uh, sure, yeah, just one more pass, just one more pass. Almost <laughs> and, done. Uh, <laughs> and they'd like fall asleep, and so we'd keep making all the passes, and then they'd wake up. Hey, I thought we were going back. Oh yeah, yeah, we're just we're just on that last pass. Don't worry about it. We're headed back soon. <laughs> so, yeah. Cool. And, uh, that drive to find something cool, you know. But you know, I I wonder and. and um, hearing some accounts of people who have found these in the wild that, you know, they tend to climb um, trees a bit more. So they found them up trees. And so, you know, this might be a species you get out of the car and go look through the habitat for um, rather than try to road cruise them. Although we did find one on the road, but we also found one on the habitat. So kind of a cool thing. Um, for sure. Yeah. So speaking of Australia, um, what's, I mean, if you're going to take a trip there, what, what is some things that you learn the hard way? So, so to speak, <laughs> like you're there and you're like, ah, oh, shit, should have brought these or what's things that you didn't necessarily need or. <laughs> uh, I, I asked, uh, I asked Steve uh, Sharp who, we went to Western Australia a few years back, and and uh, I remember I was we we all had different flights. Even though we tried to book up, you know, get our get our same flights, we all hit you know purchased our plane tickets at the same time, and uh, we all mm-hmm. ended up having to take separate flights. And so I I arrived, um, I think I arrived first, and I was waiting, or maybe vice versa. But I come over, I'm like, all right, let's get let's get our bags and get the rental car and get out of here, and. Uh, they come walking, both Steve and my friend Mike come over and they've got like these ginormous suitcases. And I'm like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> bring, bring your whole wardrobe? Like, what are you, you know, what are we doing here? And, uh, and they're like, well, you told us, you know, this, you know I, I had like a checklist of stuff to bring. And like, we brought everything you told us to bring. I'm like, oh, I guess probably didn't need all that stuff. But, you know, so, I mean, so don't, don't overpack. Yeah. <laughs> don't take because we barely fit into our rental rental vehicle. So like all these bags, we were trying to pile them in. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I was like, we're not going to fit all this stuff. And, but it, so that was kind of the, we, uh, we had to ride in. So there were three of us and one person was in the back seat and next to them, they had a mound of bags and food and all this stuff piled Jesus. up about as high as they were, you know? So we really, got the most use out of that car and I think at the end they were going to try to charge us some fee because it was so filthy and messed up and because we just basically used that thing as our trash heap and our food heap or whatever you know it, just, it got it got messed it got wrecked up so it was pretty dirty when we turned it back in but, um so you know don't don't go overboard and and uh uh try to pack light try to uh, although you know you got at least we were kind of car camping. We'd drive and then pull off the side of the road and camp for the night. Um, I brought a I brought a tent with me, um, you know, for for the nights. And but Steve, 
I think Steve just brought a tarp, and he'd just lay his tarp out and sleep in his sleeping bag on the ground. He didn't get uh, eaten by anything or carried away or stung or envenomated or anything. So I think you're fairly safe, depending on where you are. Um, the other thing, uh, in some areas you're going to be in, uh, there's going to be the bush flies. And they can be like plague proportions. And they don't oh, bite, Jesus. at least the, the ones that I've been around, but... There's so many of them, they drive you insane. Like, you just go <laughs> crazy. And so bring a, bring a head net. You, know, you might only wear it a couple times, and you, really, you look really stupid, but it saves <laughs> you from going insane, and it keeps the flies out of your nose and eyes and, and mouth. So um, That is the a, important one. That, thing. that is an important yeah. suggestion. <laughs> oh, my God, no. <laughs> just no. <laughs> yeah. You can get, you know, you can get a, a head net, you know, off the of Amazon or something for a few bucks. Yeah, make sure you you bring a head net. Um, okay. Have you know a couple couple different headlamps or flashlights or something because you're going to want to have uh, sufficient light in you know when you're out cruising or out uh, looking for herps at night. Um, I remember we went with this this guy uh, out looking for some. Uh, chameleon geckos in uh Hans area and uh he had this like um battery pack on you know it was like in a fanny pack on his back and 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 that thing just like lit the forest up you could see it like it was daylight you know so he's finding all these things because so bright you know so you can get like a you know a thousand lumen or something headlamp that's going to be a lot better than like a you know a 15 dollar petrol headlamp or something get something that's got some serious firepower so you can see in the night and that also helps with uh taking pictures and stuff too um yeah i was going to ask a, get a decent yeah get a decent camera because uh you're going to want to remember you know these things you're seeing get something uh i don't know like a, an slr they have some kind of uh you know not quite dslrs but they're fairly nice cameras like a Nikon Coolpix or something that's got a good zoom on it. You'll want to mm-hmm. want to get some zoom on your on your lens. And there's some you know cameras around the $300 range that you can zoom in nice and close to some faraway animals that would be really helpful. And I'm I'm actually going to plan on bringing one of those on my next trip because I I had a SLR and it, you know I had to change lenses. If I saw something far away, I'd have to put on the long lens. If I saw if I wanted to take close-up pictures, I had to switch lenses. So it was kind of a bit of a pain. So I want one of these bridge cameras that goes from like macros to zoom, you know, telephoto photography. So that's something that I would recommend. Um, and that, you know, take pictures of habitat. Take pictures of of you know cool cool stuff that you see. I, I get so focused that I only take pictures of reptiles, and so I get home and I've got a million pictures of reptiles. But I'm like, wait, what did the habitat look like where I found this? <laughs> or you know, I want to I want to remember kind of where I found it and the habitat it was in and things like that. And I and uh, and especially at night, it's hard because you can't see anything around you. Got a really mm-hmm. bright headlamp, but and so it's kind of hard to see the the habitat or get good habitat shots um, unless you come back to the same area in the day. And, you know, mm-hmm. for, for us who are traveling long distances, we want to see a lot of stuff, and so we're covering a lot of ground, and we're usually not in the same area, you know, in the nighttime as we are in the daytime, or we're kind of cruising as we go, you know, at night looking for reptiles as we move to another area. 
So a lot of times we miss out on seeing the habitat or seeing where these animals are, are living. But mm-hmm. you know, I, that's one thing I've regretted is not taking enough habitat spots. And I think that also kind of goes into your keeping and you know, how you keep the animals. If you can replicate some of these key factors of their habitat and you don't know what the habitat looks like, it's hard to do. If you only see it on the road, you know, well, I can keep it in a, you know, on a, I can put a, some pavement in my cage and put some blacktop in there. How do I, I get an old oven so into my cage? You know, is, is, that, exactly. is that what they want? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So, um, but yeah, that's, uh, you know, make sure you have a good camera. I remember, I think it was our first uh, trip over. Nick had a camera. I think it was Nick. Maybe it was somebody else. But every time he would focus or every time he'd click the shutter, it would put this red light. It would put out this red light. So, like, half <laughs> my pictures have this, like, red dot, like this big red <laughs> dot on, oh. on the animal. I'm like, hey, Nick. <laughs> okay, Stop let it. I take pictures with my real cameras, and you can come over with your red light camera later. You know, like, Jesus. So that was, a, that was a fun little thing. But So, yeah, get a good camera so you don't annoy your fellow herders. <laughs> um, uh, let's see, what else? Uh, i trying to think of good tips um you know bring a hat it gets hot in the day you want to cover up bring uh some uh, i don't know good good uh equipment you want some good um shoes so you can go trudging out in the bush and you need to follow a monitor lizard through the trees or something you don't want to get ripped up so um <laughs> you know have some pretty tough clothes that can handle the terrain <laughs> um i remember in in the Kansas, we were walking back along this trail from uh, Mossman Gorge, and there was this beautiful lace monitor crossing the path as we walked past. I'm like, uh, kids, sit tight for a bit. I'm going to follow this monitor for the next half hour. <laughs> I just followed it around, taking pictures and videoing it and stuff, and that was that was a lot of fun to watch it, you know, foraging and catching any little insect that it could find, and it was a lot, it was really cool watching it sit and bask for a bit in the patch of sunlight and then moving on, walking through these big boulders and stuff. It was cool. But, you know, it was uh, it was a rainforest, and so, like, the brush and stuff was pretty pretty uh, rough. But luckily I had uh-huh. some uh, kind of lightweight but, but tough pants on um, that protected my legs from the brunt of the, the uh, pokey and sharp things in the trees. So that was nice. And I could just kind of plow through some of the areas where he was going, you know, and so be able to follow along with him. It's better to wear pants than shorts? Um, I mean, I wore shorts most of the trip, but on some in some areas uh, where I knew I'd probably be moving through some brush, I'd wear pants. Gotcha. Um, you know, yeah. if you're just road cruising or something, wear shorts. That's a big deal. But if you're going to be walking, hiking through, you know, places where there Brambles. might be. Uh, brambles or trees or whatever, or, or low-lying brush. Um, that was one of the shocking things in Western Australia was where these uh, imbricata we found, um, like it was this low-lying shrubs, and mm-hmm. they were thick. I mean, it was really kind of an impenetrable forest in some areas of these, like, you know, knee-high or, or, or waist-high shrubs, and, mm-hmm. and the carpets just kind of disappear under those. You'd never, you'd never be able to find them, you know. If you didn't find them on the road, and so you know, watching them go into that habitat, you know, kind of got me. There's 
certain aspects of this I can replicate in a, in a cage. Yeah. If ever get the chance to keep them. So, um, but yeah, trying to follow them through there was pretty rough with uh, shorts on. So right. yeah, you know, kind of dress according to the terrain, I guess. But if you can get some of those lightweight uh, pants that are, I don't know, they feel like they're tent material or something. They're kind of rip, rip stop fabric or something. So, right. Um, but they're, they're not too hot to wear. It's kind of a cooler, um, like a microfiber type material. Okay. Um, those are the, the way to go in some of them. Um, that that's hurt. one thing that I've that I've really tried to do on my trips is I I get a really good plan going. So I'll start you know months in advance trying mm -hmm. to figure out what I want to see, where they're found. I'll look on I'll look on like the photo sites like Flickr or something, and I'll look up the species some of my target species and see if I can find where they were found and photographed and try to include that in my route, you know, just hit all these different places where I'll give myself the best chance. Um, you can, you know, improve your chances going out with some of the locals too. I've, I've always kind of, um, I don't know, I'm not wanted to bother them. It seems like, you know, they've got their life and have somebody come over unless you're like Tom Crutchfield or something, they'll, they'll bend over backwards for him. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes it's hard to get your buddies to go out herping sometimes, but, um, right. Other, you know, other than a night or two. But I, you know, I wanted to be out in the bush most of the time. But, you know, it was definitely fun to hang out with some of my friends over there. That's uh, one of the highlights of the trips, but spending time with some of the Australian guys. But, uh, um, you know, have a good plan. Have, have things kind of mapped out and say, okay, I really want to see this species, so I'm going to hang around this area and, uh, you know, give it my best effort, look at the type of habitat and kind of learn where they like to go and what time of year they're found there and when's the best time of year to find them mm -hmm. and uh, things like that. And, you know, th th there's different tricks to do that. Like I said, if you look on Flickr, you can see when the photograph was taken usually. If, even if it doesn't give you a locality, it will tell you what time of year the photograph was taken. So you can say, okay, okay. all these other species seems to be coming out the most in, in October, so I'm going to try to be there in October and see that. Um, you know, if you go in the middle of their winter, you might see far less than you would if you go. I, my first trip, I thought I did my due diligence and did enough research, but I got over there, and I was there in October and November. And granted, it was the wettest year on record, so it was raining okay. most of the time we were there. And that was in central Australia in, like, Alice Springs area, where, it, you know, this was the most rain they've ever recorded in that area. And so, you know, it was just kind of a freak of nature year to go there. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, one of the guys at the Alice Springs Reptile Park was telling me, oh, you should come in December or January. That's when, that's when things are hopping. Like, you can't drive five feet without seeing certain gecko or death adder or something on the boat. He says it's just ridiculous how many animals are out in January or December. So, you know, getting that intel from locals, sometimes that's tricky because they don't really want to tell you <laughs> You know how to come yeah. over and find all the reptiles or their secret spots and things like that. Herpers are very guarded with those kind of things, so um, you know you really have to have somebody trust you. Um, but you know, in some ways, being an American over there is is helpful because they know you're not going to go poach their spot. You're only going to be there for a day or two, and all you want to do is look at them and take pictures. Um, you're not going to risk you know smuggling something and getting 
thrown in jail, so um, they'll they'll trust you a little more. I remember I was able to go uh, to John Weigel's uh, snake ranch before he sold that, uh, and got to see the collection. I stayed out there one of the one of his uh, places and got to meet his uh, the people that were taking care of the collection, who are still some great friends today. Um, and so you know, and, and and I was told by my Australian friends. I haven't even been able to go there, and I'm good friends oh. with John. You know, I I've known him wow. for years, and he won't let me go there because they don't want anybody to know where their facilities are, so they don't get robbed and things like that. Because that's a big problem over there. Um, this guy that uh, he had one of the silver pepper inlands, and yeah. uh, somebody broke into his place and stole it. They broke a window and got in at night and stole his silver pepper inland. And then I guess something happened. I, he ended up getting it back. Like they, they gave it back to him, put it in his mailbox in a <laughs> pillowcase or something. So he was able to recover the animal. But, you know, that's kind of a – so that's, that's a real concern over there. But Jesus. And also the, the the company you keep, this this guy that arranged uh, for my first couple trips uh, partially uh, over there uh, – just a dirtbag of a guy, but I didn't mm. know that at the time. <laughs> and he ended up mm-hmm. screwing me over in, in more ways, you know, several different ways. But he, um, because we were associated with him coming over for his conference, um, some of the Australians just assumed we were there to kind of smuggle and, and get everything we could and, you know, have some smuggling ring operation thing. And uh, he was actually involved in that. He just got sentenced to jail recently for... Um, smuggling uh, Holy shit. You know, species from, from outside of Australia. And so um, he's going to be doing some jail time, I sure hope, because uh, he deserves it. I'm surprised he, <laughs> he isn't already there. But uh, so anyway, he because we were associated with him, we went up to Darwin area, and the guy, um, there was a the guy that I'd met online, he was going to let us go up into Kakadu, up, or sorry, into Arnhem Land, into Aboriginal territory that, that usually – they don't allow white people to go. Yeah. Through, but since we were associated with this guy, a bunch of people told him, oh, I heard these guys are coming up to Darwin. Be careful there with this guy. And so he couldn't take us just because of the potential risk of being involved with somebody like that guy. And so we were kind of bummed out, but we're like, we understand, you know, we don't want you to do anything you're not comfortable with. And so, but it, um, after we kind of hung out with him for a bit and then after the trip, you know, after he saw we he kind of got screwed over by this guy. He's like, oh, man, I made a mistake taking you guys. I, I can see now that you're, you know, upstanding people. You're not going to try to do illegal things. So right. I guess next trip, right. well, that way maybe he'll take me out into Arnhem Land. <laughs> but it is, you know, it is kind of tricky to gain the trust of people, uh, um, especially since a lot of times they, they have a very hard time trusting their own countrymen. And then, you know, trusting a foreigner coming in, that, that can be tricky sometimes, too. But I, yeah. I suspect you guys have a good network. You know, you, Eric, you'll have a good network of people that you can that trust you and, you know, know you're, you're over there for the right reasons. And right. You'll know, be responsible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep, it definitely helps to have the locals. Um, I've seen some really cool animals uh, with the help of, you know, Peter Birch and some of the other local guys that uh, right. been privilege of herping with and then other times i mean i went out with uh went out with scott iper and you know it was probably just the 
just happened to be the night we went out was not the best conditions, but we basically just saw a bunch of frogs. That was about it. You know, didn't see much. And, hmm. you know, that's herping. You know, you go yeah, out still found it. Sometimes yeah. you see a ton, and other times you don't see Jack. And we we uh, went to we went to Fog, Fog Dam, right, in the Northern Territory up uh, Darwin area. And uh, Fog huh. Dam's that, that uh, magical water python place, right? Right, Wooter. Right. How do you say it? Wooter Python? Wooter, yeah. Wooter. You are correct. <laughs> it is the Wooter yeah, Python. Yeah, you're doing water. good. Good job. You'll <laughs> learn. Yeah. <laughs> doing all right. So, so we went up. We went up there one night, and we're cruising, and we found like a, um, what a little colubrid. Uh, what was it called? Um, anyway, we found a little snake and a few frogs, and you know, saw some crocodile eye shines and. Things oh. like that, but that was about it. We didn't see a single water python. We're like, we were lied to. This place, you know, this place sucks. There's no water pythons here. <laughs> and so, and then we came back like the next day. We came back the next night, and we saw like six water pythons. So, you know, it totally depends on a lot of things that you can't predict, and you just kind of get lucky sometimes, and you get unlucky other times. So, yeah. um, same thing happened down on this. Uh, on a road just south of Darwin, we were we cruised that road. We saw all sorts of stuff. We saw blackhead python, olive python, a couple uh, children's pythons had been hit. We saw some monitor species during the day. Um, this place was like fantastic, um, and this was just right after like a little rainstorm had kind of gone through, and this was some of the first rains of the season, and the place just exploded. There was stuff out all over the. You know, we were finding little. Um, Elapids and some night tigers, uh, some of those uh, boigas. Um, it was really cool. And then we went back uh, the next night and we saw just a couple little geckos or something. You know, it was kind of uh, uh, not very effective trip. And so, yeah, it just hmm. depends on the night. And so, if you can stay in an area um, where your target species is, you might have a better shot at finding them. And also, you know, look like I did with the Hembricata. If you see DORs, you know, several different individuals, you're like, okay, this is a good place to look for the species. And that worked for the Hembricata. But I've also, um, I really want to find some of these uh, uh, blue-tongued skinks in the wild. I, I just was lucky enough to pick up a pair of western blue-tongued skinks that were available um, in the U.S. And so that was... Uh, that's that's a species I've wanted to work with for a long time, um, yeah. but uh, over over in Australia, the only ones I've seen of that species, the westerns, are, have always been dead on the road. And you know, some species like blue tongues are really hard to predict where they're going to be or you know how, when you're going to find them. I mean, they come out kind of dusk and dawn, and so you know that's the time to be out looking for them. But you know, finding those things, finding some species is just basically luck of the draw. Whereas other species, you know, I've gone to the same spot in Terrigenia in Western Australia, and I've seen um, both uh, Pilbara rock monitors and the southern uh, Pilbara, the Hammersleyensis, that were they were one species, but have since been split into two species. And I saw um, both species in the same places, kind of in predictable manner. You know, if you go here, you'll probably see this species. You got a really That's good cool. shot at it. So. And both times we've gone to those places, I've seen those two species. So, you know, it's uh, some species are predictable. But, uh, just, I guess, learning about their natural history and kind of learning about what they do, uh, that helps mm -hmm. you know, do I want to 
stay in this area and look really hard for this thing, or is it just going to be a chance where it doesn't matter if I'm in a specific area? Um, you know, I may or may not find it, so I'm not going to stay here just for that. You right. know, those are kind of incidental species that you find, luckily, you know, here and there. Um, so, yeah. I can't wait, man. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I can't wait. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so where where are you headed? What, what areas are you going to? We are going, well, originally we were going to go into, like, uh, the Diamond Coastal Integrate area, but um, after Carpet Fest, a few people that we were talking to said that it might be too cold at that point, and, like, going down into Diamond territory and stuff. So we uh-huh. changed the itinerary, and we're going up to the Cape, like, up the Cape. Okay. So. Up towards Iron uh, Range? Are you going up to, like, the tip, or are you... Like up towards the tip, yeah. Cape York? Yeah, Cape York. Uh, nice. Yeah, Cape It would York be cool. I mean... What what uh, month are you... Uh, the end of what November. What month are you going in? End of November, oh, okay. beginning of December. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, we checked. You're coming on the way. You don't, make sure you don't get caught up there. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> it could be good be horrible, in that. right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. well, I don't that, think my that, wife would be happy that about that. Is, uh, yeah, that's true. Your boss probably would be a little upset too. Yeah. Um. The uh, that's yeah, that's right. Kind of on the on the wet season. So um, yeah, some of those roads get impassable if there's enough water. So keep an eye on the weather reports and you know make sure <laughs> you don't get get into a get into a spot there. I almost got stuck in a river. I think I told that story on on your show, but. Yeah, yeah. I, I was driving across one of those uh, river crossings, and you know the big, you know, crocodile warning signs on either side of the river, and you're like, oh no, and then you start getting bogged down. Oh crap! That makes me all kinds of happy and safe is giant crocodile yeah. warnings. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but then on the way back, we stopped at that river and took a swim. You know, Rico swimming around <laughs> looking for turtles and stuff. I'm like. Yeah, the Australians <laughs> told us it was okay. It was safe. Oh, yeah, we probably right, weren't yeah. going to get eaten there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, probably. So, yeah. They wanted to see how yeah. much we trust them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah, make sure you're very aware of where you're at in the water, and if there's a chance for crocodiles, you know, be very wary, very careful. They'll take a chance oh, yeah. on you, Eric. You're small enough. For sure. They'll, they'll, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll be well, like we, one of those we went, we eggs they fling in the air. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We went out to um Green Island which is uh on the um Great Barrier Reef just outside of Cairns. It's, it's a pretty popular tourist destination so there's like a million people um that were there at the same time but um really great snorkeling out there and it was really uh fun to, to see all the fish and things like that turtles all over the place. And uh the next week um after I got back I had seen that there was a a report a tourist was uh, snorkeling off of Green Island and there was a big crocodile laying oh. on the on the the ocean floor just kinda hanging out there like he, he beat it you know, beat swam as fast as he could back to the Yeah. Beach. But, yeah I mean even out in the ocean you're at risk of uh, of crocodiles potentially. So yeah, you gotta be gotta be wary out that way. But yeah. he did do a sure. that's probably the wrong time of year to see crocodiles because in the warmer times 
Um, I mean, end of November, that's, that's like getting into the really hot, hot time too. So you're going to be nice and warm, I'm sure. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Yeah, some cool places. I'll have to, I'll have to, have to give you some, uh, some spots to go check out, um, in Cairns area. Are you going to be in Cairns for a while? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. 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 That's a cool place. There's a lot of fun stuff around that area. That's jungle territory and. Nice. Yeah. yeah, I just want to see a carpet python. Yeah. You know, scrub python would be oh, yeah. good. Yeah. Green tree python would oh, be good. Yeah. Really, carpet I'll, python. I'll give you some good spots. <laughs> Damn it. Yep. The top cool. Of the list, right? Yeah, it'd be 100%. Fun to see a Cape York uh, carpet, too. Yeah. Yeah. Some of those uh, Lockerbie. Now, you, you've got some, right? So you'll you'll be able to see. Yeah. Have a chance to see what you're keeping <laughs> in, your, uh, in your cages there. <laughs> that was pretty awesome. But then that's yeah. a that's a long road. It's uh, be prepared for a bumpy dirt road that goes on forever. <laughs> Every once yeah, in a while, hoping... you get like this paved stretch, and it's like, oh, it feels so nice. There's no bumps, and you just, and then all of a sudden, it goes back to dirt for no reason. You're like, what the heck? Yeah. <laughs> Why? Uh, we we would. We would stop every once in a while and and just head out and look for stuff while we you know took a pee or. <laughs> Or uh, stop to refuel or something like that, and we just go out yeah. and just start looking around the logs and the trees <sighs> and find some some cool stuff. So, yeah, every chance you get, every time you stop the car, get out and look for stuff. Get out and check out your surroundings. You can. My my theory is you can sleep when you get home, but while you're out <laughs> there, use every waking moment to look for stuff. You know, find some cool stuff. Even Absolutely. if you're not. I mean, even if even if you're not that into geckos, get out and look at the geckos. Take pictures because maybe sometime down the road you'll get interested in geckos and you'll want to remember the geckos you saw or, you know, what kind of habitat they were in. Uh, <laughs> you know. I, I think it'll be one of those things, like, even though I don't, like, you know, I, I, geckos are cool. I like them. I dig them. But, like, seeing them in the wild, I would imagine Any it's going to be totally different. You know what I mean? Because yeah. you don't see, like, oh, yeah. I see a squirrel yeah. or a deer. And now I'm going to see like geckos just yeah. running all over the place. I've been like, what the hell? Exactly. <laughs> oh, it's it's so cool. Yeah. Well, you, I mean, you guys had Ryan on just a few weeks ago, and he was talking about how he found those uh, shei out in Kakadu area, and and wanted, and now he's breeding Amy eye. You know, he's working with geckos now. <laughs> he saw one in the wild. You know, he's Mr. Python, but now he's working with geckos. So. Right. Be oh, no. warned. You might you might have a a little change of interest after you get back. Oh and no. I don't know. Like I, I tell you what. You know they're much cooler to see out in their natural environment than they are sitting in a tub or something. So be prepared oh, to sure. be interested in a lot of cool things <laughs> when you get back. I know just the guy to go uh, to. <laughs> <laughs> like dear Justin. <laughs> God. Uh, that's uh, there's there's a lot of cool reptiles over there. Yeah, yeah man, for uh, sure. Yeah, you have to send send me send me your itinerary or what you got planned, and I can see if I can have any pointers for you or spots for you cool. to check out. And I uh, will do. I, I remember uh, I there was a my cousin's married to an Australian, and he grew up in Cairns area. And he's like, oh mm-hmm. yeah, I remember this place, uh, Kapolo. Coppolo Dam, I think I told you guys this story too, and I'm like, okay, I'll check it out. And so I'm thinking Coppolo, I'm looking up Coppolo. I couldn't find any place called Coppolo Dam. And so I'm like, oh man, I, maybe maybe things have changed since he was a young kid or something. 
And then I get back and somebody puts up a, you know, after I've been to the area and got home, somebody puts up a post and it's from Copperload Dam Road. And I'm like, oh, Copperload, that's probably what he was trying to say. You know, this Australian accent, <laughs> like, he was saying copper load, and so you know that's right. uh, I I should have uh, asked him to spell it or write it down or something. Like, can you write that down for me? But uh, so and then the next time I was in the area, I went to that to that road and cruised it. It's a really nice road to cruise, but um, we saw three scrubs, and you know we didn't see any carpets. That's supposed to be a really good area for carpets. I heard that. Uh, the Fish and Wildlife there releases carpets on that road. Like if they confiscate a jungle carpet or something, no matter where really? it, where it was originated from, they'll just dump it on that road. So <laughs> you got a, uh. a good uh, chance of seeing like Tully jungles or you know something like that uh, up way far away from Tully. You know, but wow, yeah, it's, there's some fun places out there. Can't wait, man. Can't wait. And then, you know, the thing of it is, is like, I'm already thinking like, oh, I have to go back because I'm going to want to go see, you know, you know, Western Australia. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, And like Darwin and all that. It never ends. (laughs) Oh yeah. I know. That's for sure. I'm, I'm uh, writing, but you know, trying to get this book finished up on knobtail geckos and, and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, reading up on some of these species, I'm like, dang, I want to go to that area. I hadn't thought of going to that area before. <laughs> I usually try to stay north of, you know, north of Brisbane or something, north of Sydney. But um, there's some cool stuff down in, like, South Australia. And I'm like, ah, oh, I could probably hit, uh, find, find a cool couple species of knobtail gecko and then go up and find an inland. You know, I'm getting plans all made. And, and then I, I need right. to get to the Kimberley. I think that might be my next trip is up. Kimberly, up go through Darwin again and see some of that. I got to go visit Gavin and see those freaking Owen Pellies. Those are amazing. Oh uh, yeah, when very we, cool, right? Yeah, we when They're we were so up there, looking. they were they were looking for them. Yeah, and this guy that was going to take us into uh, into Arnhem Land, he was one of the guys that helped Gavin find a few of the Owen Pellies that started those populations up because he you know lives in the Arnhem Escarpment and and so. He's a school teacher up there for the Aboriginal community in the town Owen Pelly. So obviously he's within their habitat. <laughs> and he said, like, he called them. He wouldn't. They might he be wouldn't there. call them Owen Pelly pythons because that would jinx finding one. You know, he'd call them drop bears because that's you know <laughs> um, that <laughs> their creature. So, They're everywhere. So, uh, right. Yeah, he'd start talking about drop bears. I'm like, what are, you, what are you talking about? He's like, you know, the drop bears that live in Owen Pelly. <laughs> Those ones? Oh, okay. We got oh, yeah, right. <laughs> so, and he said all of a sudden, like, just one, one, you know, one month, all of a sudden he finds three within a couple weeks. You know, they're just, they're non-existent, and then all of a sudden you find three in a row. Like, what's going on here? He can't figure out any of the factors that cause that. But, uh, right. I, I, I would really love to see one of those. Um, to, so I to need to make it over to Darwin again. I mean, to be involved oh, yeah. in that kind of a project would just be insane. Like, you are the guy yeah. doing that. That's nuts. <laughs> I've heard so many people say, ah, you know, they just they just look like a giant children's python. I'm like, yeah, that's why they look so cool. Right? <laughs> that's why I want it. Uh, they're cool yeah. snakes, for sure. I'd, I'd definitely love to keep those at some point. But I'm not holding my breath for any time soon. But, yeah. yeah, right. We'll see see what happens with them. I'd love to see them in a zoo even, you know, if they yeah. 
uh, get some over here in a zoo, I'd go to that zoo just for that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just yeah, to see them. There's a lot of cool things. Yeah. yeah. Well, we, we there was one that was held at the, I think it was at the Territory Wildlife Park up near Darwin, and they had a an Owen Pelly, but it wasn't on display. And we knew somebody that worked at the at the place, and so we were yeah. begging him, please, you know, let us go see that Owen Pelly. He's like, sorry, sorry, we can't because you'll want to take pictures, and we don't want pictures taken. I, I guess when they found it, it had yeah. had its eyes plucked out by like a raven or something. So they oh. found this. You know, Owen Pelly that had no eyes and it just looks terrible and it was old and kind of, um, it, and it actually, I think it died the following year, just right after we were there. So he's like, it just looks really old. You're, you're not, you don't want this to be your first Owen Pelly python. <laughs> so like, I still haven't seen one in, in the flesh yet. So I'm really excited to get back over and visit Gavin. But yeah, that'd be awesome. See what, what happens there. Cool. Uh, yeah, there's, uh, there's just so many cool things over there. I'm trying to think, uh, what else uh, you need to bring with you? Um, <laughs> make sure you try the, you know, try the food, try the meat pies, try the. Um, kangaroo steak. They have the yeah. ginger beer and yeah, <laughs> crocodile or kangaroo. You know, there's go to a crocodile farm. That's kind of fun up there if you can go tour a crocodile farm or something. We got to do that. We got to actually help move a crocodile. Um, <laughs> Put a no top jaw rope and drag it out of its enclosure and pull it into a big crate for shipping. I mean, this thing was huge. It was like yeah, a good 12 feet, 15 feet long. Um, so I, I had a video of the, the whole event, and, and he had me uh, take it down because he would get in trouble with his boss. So I need to see if he's still working there so I can put that video up again. <laughs> yeah. That was, uh, that was a fun deal. Yeah, but that was That's fun awesome. to see the, the crocodile farms. And I, I uh, there was this little shop up in uh, up north of Cairns on the way to the Dane Tree, and uh, it was like a little crocodile tour place. And they had these uh, crocodile skulls that are painted with like Aboriginal designs. So that's cool. You know, it wasn't wasn't too expensive either. It was only you know like a hundred bucks or something. So. Yeah, a, Eric, I need a crocodile skull. <laughs> when you go, you bring me back I, I an had, original crocodile skull. Yeah, <laughs> I, I had no problem getting it through customs or anything. It was really oh, see, done. Nice oh wow. Yeah, yeah, pretty cool. But um, yeah, I'm sure more things will come to me. I'll have to have to see a message down the road if I think something. Sure. Awesome. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, um I guess we yeah, we're we're in overtime now. So, I don't know. You want to anything else you want to hit on before we uh before we jump there. off? Um I I I can't think of anything off the top of my head if you guys have anything you want to want to talk about, but um uh, I think I've uh, I'm sure they I'll <laughs> I get up and to realize I should have said this or that or the other. Right. Well, I, I, I think I need to get away because I was perusing your website and trying to see what inlands you had for sale. So I need to get away from you, Justin, as fast as humanly possible for <laughs> my my wallet's sake for a little bit. We'll 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 circle back. Well, we promise. So prices are coming down. Owen. I know that's why it's a problem. <laughs> yeah, right. It's a problem. Uh, my yeah, my cave space I'm, I'm is the problem. Me, yeah, that's that's always the case, isn't it? Let me sell some baby. For... Yeah. Yep. <laughs> but 
These guys no, don't take up too much room. I know. <laughs> Stop it. It's very dangerous. Anyway, but no, it's been awesome, and uh, thank you for talk, talking with us and uh, giving Eric some pointers so that he can go and have a fun trip and leave me here. So, you know, all that good stuff. <laughs> Well, let yeah. it motivate you, Owen. You got to get yourself over there. There's just nothing that compares. It's it's the best. I know. I'll get there. So yeah, stop buying hognose yeah. snakes, man, and just save some money. But they're Jeez. so cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's not my fault. Uh, what are you gonna do? Yep. So uh, I did put your uh, your link uh, link to your website in the description, but uh, it's. AustralianAddictionReptiles.com, right? Uh, AustralianAddiction.com. Yep. Oh, okay. Cool. AustralianAddiction.com. Gotcha. Yeah. Oh man, I keep getting I keep getting inquiries like people wanting to buy snakes, and then like I'm like, why are they emailing me in the middle of the night? And it turns out they're from Australia. Okay, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the 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 gal that she was asking about pygmy pythons, and I'm like. I'm like, oh, where are you located? And she's like, oh, please don't tell me you're in Western Australia. I'm like, worse. I'm in the U.S. <laughs> no way. Yeah. Sorry. Damn it. Check Justin's with Fearbird. <laughs> yeah. Just going to start putting, like, big yeah. things on this. is United States only, like, all over it. So, yeah. Yeah. I I think I've got that on the front page, but I can't Probably. remember. Probably. Right? No one reads. Down, but yeah, I yeah, nobody checks the whole website. They just find what they want and go, oh, I want that. And then they contact <laughs> Yeah. What do you do? So true. Nothing. I'd have, yeah, I'd have twice as many shells if I could ship to Australia. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Awesome. Yeah. But I'd have a lot less money if they could ship to me. So I'd need all the shells I could get. <laughs> for sure oh wow okay yeah i would definitely so if somebody's new and they're listening to this and they they it's weird how we're, I, all i was telling owen before we started we're getting a lot of new people coming and listening you can tell when it kind of spikes um anyway mm-hmm. if you don't have the complete carpet python book then you're you're missing what are you out. doing i mean yeah. you mm-hmm. <laughs> got to get that number one number two yeah i would recommend going over to justin's website not only to see his cool animals but to see his little page called visits that is badass so (laughs) he's been all over the place all different spots especially the stuff that when he's been to australia definitely uh worth checking out for sure so yeah, I I try to update that and keep all my cool visits on there so I can show people what I found and yeah, it's, I I go on there occasionally to look at you know, <laughs> <laughs> over in Australia. Remember the good old days, you know? Yeah, yeah. I've been just sure. writing this writing this knobtail book. I've been uh, um, looking at my pictures from Australia to get you know see get some pictures that I've taken of the different species and. I'm like, dang it! I need to get back there. I need to see that. Again. I need to go to that spot again. You know. Uh, it was yeah. Nice. Cool deal. Awesome. Uh, All right. Well, thanks as always, Justin, and uh, yeah, welcome back yeah. anytime. So, thanks for having me on. I'm happy to come on and chat with you guys about reptiles anytime. Cool. Very good. All right. All right, Justin. Have a good night, right. and uh, yeah. 
Till next time. <laughs> you too. All right. Well, <laughs> All, right. All right. Cool. All right. Awesome, awesome stuff, man. So, uh, all right. Well, let's wrap this up and uh, we'll get on out of here, Owen. So, what do we have to hit on at the end? I forget. Oh. All right. I knew you'd forget. All right. So, um, first things first is that tomorrow I will be putting up the calendar competition. It's that time again. Actually, it's probably a month late. <laughs> so shut up. All right, we will not have them for Tinley again. And to be honest, at this point, if you're surprised, have you been listening to the show? I don't. I need anyway. a boo clip. I need a boo clip. Boo. boo you no, no, we don't. No, we don't. Because that button would get worn out. Okay, too many times. Anyway, yeah. Um, we will have the calendar competition. Uh, I'm going to shoot some messages back and forth to you probably tomorrow. I want to try to get it up at noon. I know we kind of want to do something a little bit different for this year, and uh, we threw it out there, and no one suggested anything. So, Oh, uh, uh, no, I did get know. a suggestion. What the hell? All right, so if it's snakes wearing hats, I immediately veto. I immediately veto. If you print my – if Casey and you print – my calendar to just have snakes wearing hats, I'll kill you. So, you know. Dear Casey. No. So, um, so we'll do that. So, obviously, uh, rules generally are it needs to be uh, your snake or your picture. So, if you do field herping and you have some really cool pictures, you're welcome to put those in there as well. Um, but it needs to be your snake. We ask that you kind of – maybe not take it in the bin. As a matter of fact, we tell you that bin shots aren't allowed at all. So it needs to be out of its cage, uh, outside. It needs to be a calendar picture. It can't be like in a 20-gallon tank with a pile of shit in the corner. I mean, come on. So right. uh, you can use any camera you want, anything like that, and it can be of any snake. It needs to fit into a certain category. We'll put the post up on the Morelia Pick of the Week. Uh, you'll throw the comment in, and you'll say what uh, category you are uh, put submitting the snake for. You can submit as many as you want. Uh, you can also enter in as many categories as you want. There will be, of course, the Morelia pick of the year, um, which that person will be invited to come on with us next year to vote on calendar uh, pictures as well. So it's myself, Eric, and the winner from last year. Who the hell was that? Do we remember? Who was the winner from last year? Um, yeah. Who was the winner? Um, no, I don't know. All right. I we'll figure that out. <laughs> Hold on. I'll tell you. All right. Yeah, go keep talking. I'll find it. You're yeah. going to look no, at your no, calendar, no. aren't you? Um, no. So yeah, so we'll do that. Um, obviously, uh, those pictures will be submitted, and we'll have in one episode where we debut the calendar, and then the calendars will be for sale. Uh, and obviously with it because it's a calendar we can ship international and have uh so we just got to bounce that stuff off you guys uh eric will have a bunch i will have a bunch so it doesn't matter which one of us you contact and if you are a winner you get a calendar for free so if your snake is picked for one of the months you will get a calendar for free um and we'll send that out to you for you to do that i have mine hanging in my snake room and i put all my breeding stuff as well as all the snake shows i'm attending on it 
Uh, it's always cool to have, especially to turn over to the next page. Um, and we've had some great submissions over the years, and it's been a really cool thing. Uh, hopefully, we'll kind of get some really good ones. So, yeah, um, hmm, that's weird. I don't have. We'll figure what it out later. It? Yeah, I don't know. We'll figure it out later. So um, that'll happen later. So that'll be up. And then the other thing I wanted to touch on is because uh, Eric and I live close to this. It's uh, Philadelphia. Um, the Insectarium, which was a place in Philadelphia that had a bunch of insects and reptiles, um, did some outreach programs and stuff like that. They were broken into, and about $50,000 worth of animals were stolen, uh, and they're gone. So, And nobody knows what happened there. Or they're, they're trying to track down what may have happened, and they're, they're making pleas to try to just get the animals back. But there were a lot of uh, insects and a lot of reptiles, so uh, you know it was. It's and you never, you always hate to see that stuff. And it kind of also, you know, what Justin was talking about, how people were a little bit leery about inviting people to see their collections in Australia because they might get broken into. It's like you hate to think about that, but that's something maybe in the back of your head. Uh, yeah. So you know, and that sucks. So I have their GoFundMe up. Uh, they're trying to. I mean, they pretty much have to start from scratch with trying to get their uh, the insect collection back up and running. So uh, I'll throw their GoFundMe up on the Facebook chat. Uh, if you feel so inclined, you can donate or you can contact them or you can even just share it on Facebook. Just trying to get it around there, get some word spread because, uh, you know, in their shoes, I think I'd be devastated to put that much work into something. Have somebody come and freaking just take it. So. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, it sucks. It does. <clears throat> I mean that that's the that's the you'd find me in the shower trying to drown myself with all my clothes on. So you know <laughs> that's just. But yeah, so uh, if you can, that's awesome. If you can't, just uh, go ahead and share it. And we'll see what's up. So. Okay. Very that's cool. all I got. Uh, now you now you go. <laughs> uh. Yeah, so for us, MoreliaPythonRadio.com. Uh, our email is info at MoreliaPythonRadio.com. Um, what else? Uh, we For next week, we will hopefully have the guys from the Herp the – Herp the – oh, God damn it. Herp the – Come on. <laughs> Come, on. The, Herp, Come on. Come on. Herpological podcast. Um, so uh, – yeah, those guys, they uh, they kind of, them in particular are kind of fans of uh, Morelia in in uh, particular. Um, nice. But, um, you know, there's another uh, reptile podcast that's out there. So, uh, you know, nothing in spe- nothing specific we'll talk about, but uh, should be cool. And the, the main thing that I think will be cool is because mm-hmm. they're younger, a lot younger. Like, I'm probably oh. old enough to be their dad. Oh you know, no! He's probably like early twenties. So well, it's, it's oh, like oh no, I'm not there anymore. Oh god! Yeah, you're with me, bro. <laughs> oh, god. You're in my group now, bro. Somehow, in the so. past six years, I've crossed that line. Yes. Oh. Uh, right. Very funny. But uh, yeah, hopefully they'll uh, they'll get that. And I got a couple other shows in the works. Um, but uh, you know, trying to get a uh, green tree show going and uh, a couple other things. So 
Um, okay. Yeah, we're all, we're almost. What's crazy is we don't really we're have that many the the shows. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we got the calendar show. We got the calendar show. We got the uh, um the the anniversary show. We yeah. have the holiday show. It's like three shows out of the remainder that are already taken up. Yeah, and uh, I want to say your post, and, the post Tinley show, where I assume I'm gonna have to hear about how you guys did all that stuff. Um, I refuse to do a show while you're gone because well, then there's gonna be this show where I come back from Australia. Of course, that one's already done. Maybe I'll do a show yeah. while you're gone. No, I can't. You took Rob, and I can't be trusted to run a show by myself. We've already proven that like <laughs> a million times. <laughs> Yeah, so there's probably maybe 12 left, which Jeez, probably six of them are are spoken for. Yeah, this year flew by, man. It's crazy. And then we get and then we get 2 weeks off and then we start the 7th year of this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What do you think? We'll go to 10 or what? Yeah, <laughs> one of us will go to 10. I don't know. Like what have you ever thought about retiring it in, in at a certain year? Like you ever thought like ten years and then we'll revisit it and maybe call it a quiz? I I I don't know, man. I I don't know. Have I, I thought I about it? Just, no. I mean, it just seems yeah. like as long as I'm keeping snakes, why not keep doing this? Why not keep know? going? Like, well, you know, there's I, there's always going to be stuff to talk about. There's always going to be new stuff. There's always going to be different stuff. There's always going to be new people. There's always going to be new things. So. Yeah, I would hope in ten years from now that I could, uh, you know, I I could do it to where it's me and you talking about these things because we've been doing it for. I mean, good lord, at that point, <laughs> ten years Getting from there. now we would have been we'd be keeping carpet pythons for twenty years if we don't oh, got to figure it out by oh, then. Then, good lord, <laughs> you know, I got so. like, dude, my my first carpet python breeding was in two thousand ten, like my first clutch was in two thousand ten, so. We're steadily closing yeah, in on there. that. I've yeah, we're steadily closing in that I've been breeding carpet pythons for ten years. You know. So in December Hamburg of two thousand and eight mm. is when I bought um, the Balin first, the Balin Tiger, and uh, the Balin uh, Coastal Carpet, and uh, was I can't remember so. That was the first one that I bought besides I had jungles before that. Yeah. Uh, but that that was like the first real carpet python I bought. Jeez and I'll never forget, Christ. man. It's so it's so um it's so that that perspective is so crazy. And that's why I like talking to people that are coming into it new because like I remember how excited like I rem- I I specifically remember walking around and I passed uh Ted Thompson's table. And yeah. he had these bright, bright, screaming yellow tigers that basically yeah, I, were dude, icon tigers that he had on display right in that corner. And I'm like, yeah, in the, in oh the beginning, I bought those tigers. <laughs> like, dude, I had, I bought the 07 uh, Trinity is Ted Thompson 07. And right. then the following year, 08, the Jag, I bought Talon. So, right. you know, that, that, that they're right there. And those were the, those are the last two I purchased when I was in college. So, and that's the cornerstones wow. of my entire tiger jag project. I mean, mm-hmm. dude, I got, I got animals that could potentially breed this year that I produced their parents and I owned their grandparents their entire lives. So that is awesome to me. And I kind of, 
kind of want to almost find something to breed it to. It's like, it, it didn't fit in, he doesn't fit into any of the projects that I have, but I'm like, damn it, I should find right. one. It's like, you know. Find one. But, Speaking of crazy tigers, man. So yep. my the citrus tiger clutch. So yeah. I have two tiger clutches this year. I have citrus tiger to citrus tiger, which uh-huh. I'm going to start Why saying citrus, citrus tiger line or citrus line tigers, however you want. I don't know how, however you want to say we'll it. But anyway, it <laughs> yeah, because there's been that whole thing with the toffee, you know, morph and all. And like, I have no I, idea what the toffee morph is, but I'm just going to ignore it. It's ball python thing, isn't it? No, it's carpet. No, but it's it, what yeah, the hell is a toffee? It's it's not really anything, but it is. It's it's very similar to like what the citrus thing is. So it's All like right. this line, but it's not yeah. a morph. But it's you know what I mean. So it's I don't know. Yeah, it's I get one you. Of those weird things. But I anyway, get one of those citrus tigers from you. One of those citrus. Dude, the one. I need one. The one I thought had a problem shedding, right? Because it looked uh-huh. it looks like hypo ish. Yeah. Not not. No, 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 no. Let me take that back. Not hypo. Ghost. Ghostish, Ghost. right? I must, yeah, it's yeah. like, it's and, and the stripe is crazy. <laughs> so I'm All like, right. I went through today, right? And it's so weird how fast they change when, uh-huh. you know, they're, when they're kicked in and they're eating and they're shedding and stuff. So, you know, yeah. I kind of left them alone for a week and I'm going down today and I'm going through the tubs and stuff and, you know, changing water and changing things and feeding them. Holy shit, man. When you next time you're in this, you know, by here or whatever, I'll show you this snake, and you're I'm you're gonna be see. like, you're yeah. like gonna be like, what the fuck is that? Well, because I'm looking at the high con HCQ jag that I kept back, the one that I crossed with the red, and he's starting oh, to really, perfect. he's really starting to look, and he's got like barely any pattern on his back. He's only got the saddles, and his saddles are really really small. So I'm like, right. I gotta get you to a tiger, like I gotta get you to a tiger, but there's no point in throwing you to a tiger unless we're talking like double down on like the high con and all that other fun stuff. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's so crazy to think that that was almost, yeah, basically 10 years ago. And Jesus. that was the start. I mean, in 2006 <laughs> and seven, I did have carpets and I kind of was like yeah. the lurker on MP forum, but yeah. You know, I, I consider 2008 the year where I started to buy, you know, my collection of what it is today. You know, so I, I, I would agree because I had my carpets. I had my originals. Uh, I mean, I got them in 2005, six, 2005 and 2006, but I didn't get anybody who was serious or anybody who's had a lasting impact till seven and eight. So, yeah. yeah. And 2009 uh, was kind of the year for me. You know, I I spent a lot of money in 2009. I know because you know it, it was it was when I was trying to find a citrus tiger and I couldn't get one. Yeah. yeah. So holy shit! Thank God I don't have any kids. Uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> or that yeah, wouldn't that have was... happened. But you know, yeah. when you don't have kids and you know no wife and no responsibilities, I guess you. Can I can do what I want. Like you know, <laughs> somehow you justify it. You know, whatever. But, oh yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, and and that was the first time I met Jason, and you know, it yep. just I was like, wow, you know, these guys are so cool. They're so awesome. Nice to, you know, very friendly. You know, he's trying to talk to me about, you know, yeah, uh, 
keeping them and how to how to breed them and whatnot. And he was telling me what to get and what to breed. I still have that female uh, that I got, you know. So, um, yeah, cool stuff for sure. Yeah, and I was, you know, it was it was so intimidating. Uh, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, no, I was saying like I was talking to Jason. Uh, I, I went and I got rats and Jason went to pick up rats at the same time. And I'm sitting there in the parking lot talking to Jason. I'm like, at one point I was terrified to have these conversations. It's yeah. like, you know, it's so weird. Now, now we're like friends, you know? Yeah. I can text him right now. He'd well, probably be pissed because I'm texting him at 1130 yeah. at night, but like, what the hell are you doing? Know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Reminiscing. But, uh, what you doing? It's like, yes. <laughs> yeah. I think it, I think it's cool that I can talk to you. <laughs> Keep texting me at eleven thirty. You won't be talking to me anymore. Jason doesn't want to talk. Jason doesn't want to talk to me anymore. So it's like, yeah. Yeah, but all those guys. Um, I mean, Justin, he's the same way. Justin, yeah. Nick, you know, it's like I was well, just like, a nobody, and I'm still a well, nobody. We talked about that. Just, we talked about it in the beginning of the show. I, I was contacting Justin and Ben to buy a Jag from them, and then I switched and went to Leary. It's like this was, mm. you know, way back when. So it's it's just funny like that. One The one cool animal – so I got a bunch of bread lye from Justin because, yeah. uh, you know, I, I sort of was like layering them on as I went to sort of like, you know, get each, each species or subspecies and um, – uh, when I started talking to, to Justin about, you know, carpets and bread lie and whatnot, uh, I stumbled upon skunk and flower, which for those oh, who don't know who skunk yeah. and flower is, amazing striped carpets. So jungles. he had Red jungles. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Jungles. Yeah. Sorry. Um, and I did actually get an offspring from, from that pairing but unfortunately yeah. the f- i had a female perfectly striped oh my yeah. god the striping was immaculate and beautiful colors uh and she died so that yeah. kind of sucks but well i mean we were talking about uh, a couple shows ago we were talking about my m pen coastals that were like bright freaking yellow and i lost all of them over the years and never got to produce them other than crossing one with a tiger and I'm like, God, it, like, and that's the thing is when you've been in this for a while, you, everybody, everybody you talk to has animals that were in their collection that they would kill to have back in their collection right now. So it sucks. But anyway, yeah, uh, we've like gone on a tangent for about half an hour. <laughs> like, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> yeah, we have a, we have an anniversary show coming up. At Yay! <laughs> uh, we'll get to listen to a. Whole two hours of me and Owen making fools of ourselves like uh, every week, fifty weeks show. a year. <laughs> I'm gonna need a drink for that show. You will. <sighs> Thank you. Yeah, Rob's been telling me some of the some of the clips that he's been pulling, man. And, Rob's uh, so mean. <laughs> he's so mean. So right. it seems like the first time it was more focused on you, but I think this next run is where I start doing stupid shit. It's like, you we'll know, see. when I had that, I had that hair up my ass for a little while and I was <laughs> 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 every week I'd be freaking out and, you know, but <laughs> we're past that. Eric. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I feel better now. <laughs> yeah. You know, you get in that stage where everybody just frustrates the shit out of you because I mean, you it's know, understandable, you know, and, but now I'm. You learn to let I go. Don't know. 
Yeah. Yeah. I don't let that shit bother me anymore. I don't care. Nah, I got, <laughs> yeah. Got more so. important things to do. Exactly. Um, all right. So yeah, that's what's lined up. And, uh, let's see what's, uh, events that are coming up for us. Uh, Tinley park, uh, me and yep. uh, Matt Minatola are going to be there. And I had, uh, <laughs> yeah, I have the, um, me and Matt are headed out there and I guess mm-hmm. I sent him a message earlier to see like, if he wanted me to hit people up, if they, you know, wanted to take the road with yeah, us, because Buddy, Bus- yeah. Buddy Buscemi was supposed to go with us. And then Chris Salemi was supposed to go with us, but you know, he has to fly first class. I don't know. He's, he's, oh, what whatever. the hell? <laughs> you know? Yeah. That, that guy, I, he, can't, he can't, he can't go with us, you know, Jesus. No. anyway. So, yeah. uh, yeah, he said that if you're not an asshole <laughs> and uh, <laughs> what constitutes being an asshole, I don't know. We'll have to decide. But anyway, you have a big um, conversation without being enraged. You know, that's you could probably get in the car. Yeah. I can't believe you said the word. I can't believe you I, said the word. I don't know what happened. <laughs> I, it just kind of spilled it just rolled out off of me. Your tongue so well, and I, I don't want to. I, I, yeah. No. Anyway. But yeah, it, it it it's a cool trip. I mean, it's a long trip, especially coming from Philly. But um, it, it 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 it's a much better trip when you have multiple people. You got stuff to talk about. You know, you got stuff to listen to. Um, so obviously, if they're if you're headed out to Tinley Park, and you know, we could we could probably sell this as an experience ride to Tinley Park with half of <laughs> MPR. So, <laughs> oh Jesus! Oh <laughs> God! <laughs> like, how many more hours do we got? Jesus! Oh yeah. Um, so but, yeah, if you can, yeah. contact you guys. You. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, yeah, that's that's that. And as far as myself, ebmorelia dot com. I'm on Instagram, uh, Facebook. Actually, I've been pulling more off of Facebook more and more and more and more. I've been spending more time on Instagram because. Yeah, you know it's so much better. But I think I made my first first Facebook post on Rogue for like in the past like six months. I made it today, and I'm like, wow, all right. So. <laughs> yeah, and uh, so yeah, you can follow me there. Uh, I have snakes for sale. I sent out a snake today, which was uh, pretty good, and I'll be sending out a snake next week. Um, nice. Yeah, so that'll be cool. Um, so I I got. Lots of cool stuff. Um, you know, I was packing up the snake yesterday. I was telling you this, and I was packing it up, and I was like, oh, holy shit. Do I sell this? <laughs> oh, wait. I already <laughs> sold it. Damn it. <laughs> it's too late now. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but, yeah, I have a bunch. And uh, I'll be putting – I, I was talking to uh, Owen about this before. I'm just going to uh, start posting pics of what I got all over the place. So, uh, if you want to come out to Tinley and pick one up, you know, there you go. You'll know what, uh, what, what the deal is. Um, so yeah, com. My email is eric at ebmorelia.com. Uh, yeah. Follow me there. That's all I got. Cool. Uh, what I got is you can actually now go to rogue-reptiles.com. The website is up. It is live. Um, it's still being, stop it. <laughs> stop it. Um, <laughs> It's still being tweaked. It's still being worked on, but the for sale ads uh, and for sale page is up, which is good because I'll probably be adding upwards to about 30 baby snakes to that website in the next couple days. Um, uh, everything from caramels, uh, caramels head exanic, 
Uh, I have some coastals that are hexanic that actually were from a tiger, but none of them have stripes, so I feel weird calling them tigers, so whatever. Uh, some caramel jags, and of course, maybe even some jungle jags. So uh, it'll take a little bit longer for my bread lie and my Dominican red mountain bows to make it to the website, but they're coming. So if you're interested in any of that, you can contact me through the website. You can contact me at uh, uh, just through rogue-reptiles.com. Uh, also, you can go and find Rogue Reptiles on Facebook.com. Give us a like. Plus, I'll also keep everybody up to date on everything that's going on at Rogue through the Facebook, as well as my Instagram, which is linked to the website. So you can go through the website to my Instagram or you can ask my, my last name, McIntyre, M-C-I-N-T-Y-R-E-O-J on Instagram, and you can uh, follow us there. Uh, as far as shows, I will not be going to Tinley Park, um, but Eric will. So if you want anything, and uh, I'll make Eric bring it. Stop it! <laughs> I'll make Eric bring it to, to you. <laughs> that's, uh, that's where that's that blue button would have came in good. Shut up. <laughs> You're not getting it. Um, so there's that. Uh, and then uh, I think there there's the Oaks Reptile Show, which is later on in September. I will be attending. I, I'm probably not going to vend. I don't really have too many babies that are of impressive size for a snake show. So I'm probably going to skip it, but I can drop animals off at Oaks. Um, and then there's the October Hamburg show, which I'm going to try to get a table at. If not, I'll just uh, make Matt Minatola give me uh, space there. So um, <laughs> that's all I got. That's all we have for everybody tonight. So we'll say thank you all for listening. And we're going to catch everybody back here next week for some more Morelia Python radio. Good night.